Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is high. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. Watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at-bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field. It's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at-bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. The Bernstein and Holmes Show. I'm actually kind of on lookout right now, guys. It's kind of breaking, actually. I just saw... Caleb Williams, who was with another player. I didn't even recognize him right away. I promise you guys, if Caleb Williams walks out here during this interview, I will walk towards him. Wait a second, what's behind you? That's the room that Caleb Williams is in right now. Dan, just focus on Ray. over there, is it just like come back out here? Did he come back out this way? Who, Caleb? Oh. Oh, so they won't come back out this way? Okay. Okay. Thank you. Yes. Okay. So, this is how it's done, people. You hear Grady reporting real time. Okay. So Caleb Williams might come out that door. Do you think it'd be weird if I just walked right next to him just to size just him to up? Just si- to literally size him up? What if I like literally took out a tape measure? Caleb, you need just to just like, stick it to the door. To the bottom of the Seriously. Like, Brody, next year you have to pack one. I hope that you guys got out of this what I did. Oh, dude, this was like the yeah. best Bears reporting in ever. In ever, Jerry. In ever. The best, Jerry. The best. Bernstein and Holmes. Middays 10 a.m. till 2. On Chicago Sports Radio. 670 The Score. Happy Thursday. Broadcasting live from the Hyundai Studios. Brought to you by your local Hyundai dealers. Dan Wiederer at 11. Lance Brostowski. At noon, high noon just before that, Jason Leisure at 1, and a bunch more stuff here on the Bernstein and Holmes Show. We are with you 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Monday through Friday here on your favorite sports station, WSCR The Score. Ray Diaz, Adam Studzinski, Brandon Fryer, Connor O'Donnell, Kevin Lapka doing their things. That Bulls game was fun, say that. It was, it's two it was. Double overtimes and NBA debuts and all kinds of stuff. And Kobe White like looking like he wasn't in the game at all, and he kept kind of fighting and fighting and fighting. He is going through something right now. He really is. He is in a thing. He's got a little bit of the thing, and he's got to work his way through it. But it, What's it, your it, man, Javon Carter, I, do it? I, I don't. What you doing, man? I, I don't know. He did Carter it twice. The corner. Jump pass left side. Booch on the backdoor cut to Carter. White right side three off the mark. Javon Carter, Bill had, had a layup. A, had a layup. <laughs> oh, three is better than two mentality. And Cleveland's going to take a timeout. I. Uh, yep. Yep. Okay. <laughs> We're going to take a uh, timeout. Forty-five, forty, yep. Cleveland. The best part yep. is you hear someone inside of their screen. What? <laughs> three is the TV look, call. 
Three is better than two. There's no question three is better than two. But the twos but, that you can yes. take are dunks and layups. Yes. Yeah, that was a free two that's, for you. That's It's still two, though. That's right there. Two is better than none. Correct. Against the egg, two on the clock, double comes. Iowa again. Won't go, long rebound, Carter. Back in the play. He'll tap it back out. Nice. Why do you pass up on that? Hopefully White hits. He does it. Uh, Vucevic was signaling to Carter that you got to take that you gotta, shot. You got to make a layup. <laughs> I was watching that real time, and I'm like, what, what the are we, hell what are, are you doing? What are we doing? Here? He did it again, too. Later in the game, there was that play where the, the ball squeaks out, and he's the first one to get it, and he passed out to the, the wing again. Javon, lay the ball up. Come on, man. I know we want the Bulls to take more threes and they should continue shooting threes, but yeah. when the defense is giving you, when you, when there's nobody within five feet of you, just lay it in. Very simple. Three is better than two, but two is better than none. And two is perfectly fine in yes. a close game when you're standing at the hoop two, alone. Two yeah. is to- absolutely when you're by yourself. Like when they, when they start talking about the math of it, the best shot is the corner three because it's closer to the basket and it gets you three points. And then you start moving out. But if there's a dunk or a layup. An uncontested two. You have to take those. The shots you want to avoid are the contested twos. That was not contested. Or mid-range twos. You don't want those. Right. But Pretty easy. why did you cut hard to the basket? I, I don't know. Like, that- because that's the basket. That's why you're going that direction. Because that's where the basket you is. Like, you cut hard. It was a great move. So great that you were by yourself. All right. That's not why people called. No. I, uh, yep. Yep. Okay. You saw that? Yep. Okay. Yep. No onions on that yep, one. No. 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 No big time onions there. Absolutely not. I have a larger question about what we're talking about when we're going through this NFL survey. And it just kind of dawned on me. And it was it was in large part because in the back of my mind, I kept thinking about what you were saying about the disparity in quality for Super Bowl practice fields because it was going on to the, the, the spongy surface at UNLV. And about how this league right now, the well, one of the wealthiest businesses – that exists on the planet. They print money. They control, they, they move mountains. They move taxpayer dollars. That we still, ha- they, there's still such a disparity between teams regarding such things as nutrition and childcare? Really? I would suggest to the NFLPA that the conclusion to be drawn from these surveys isn't necessarily the differences between the teams. It's that next time you go to the bargaining table, it's time to ask for things to be standardized. Remember all the time that we spent talking about the, 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 ex, the expose of what was happening to baseball's minor leagues. Yes. And those of us who lived it just sort of knew we knew about the jar of peanut butter and, and the generic white bread that was, lunch or meals for a day for A-ball guys and nine guys crammed into a two-bedroom apartment and the squalor that was the, the, the life of some of these guys that eventually 
you shown enough sunlight on it, and MLB got shamed into making it better. And and some organizations are still better than others. Like, Correct. You'd rather be a minor leaguer in the Dodgers organization than Kansas City's. Sure. And it was I saw a lot of the Kansas City organization back in the day. That that's what I saw firsthand. And in the NFL, you still have a t- like the Chicago Bears can't provide enough nutritious food. What? 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 The players don't know. Who's going to take care of their kids? Or they're they're going to have to pay out of pocket and bring their kids somewhere on game day for some third party childcare. What, what what's happening here? You're the NFL. I, I, that Clark Hunt. That 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 is the most the, shocking. The part. Kansas City Chiefs, who won three Super Bowls, can't take care of their players. Have substandard facilities. How are owners allowed to do this? It's a great question. Why don't we take a break and let's discuss this further, especially with to go back to the Chiefs thing where we could actually read for people what the survey survey says about what their owner does and what their facility is like. So let's do that because I think there's a, a big topic here that should encompass a lot of people. Once you let go of the fact that, of how much money players make, if, if you put yourself in their position, you would understand some of the frustration. So let's take a break and let's talk about this. Bernstein and Holmes here with you, 10 to 2 on the score. I, uh, yep, yep. Okay. <laughs> We're going to take a uh, timeout, 45 40 Cleveland. Bernstein and Holmes, middays 10 to 2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. Can't you morons do anything right? Maybe I'm just naive about the way that these billionaires in the NFL ownership ranks continue to do their business and say, look, if we don't have to pay for something, we're not going to pay for it. We're paying you enough. We're not going to let the, what do they say, the inmates run the asylum? Is that what Cal McNair said at one point? Let me let me be a little less cynical for just a second. Aw. I think that the workplace is evolving overall. And I think... In a lot of workplaces, these fights have, are still being fought. Like the idea of, you know, do we have nutritious food to eat in the complex, like on the campus? Is there access to it? Is there child care? What type of child? Like these questions are being asked outside of the NFL. And usually the last place that we see advancement in, in, in workplace stuff is the NFL. So maybe it's not them being callous. Just maybe they they haven't figured out that this is now part of what American workers now look for in their place of business. And, and NFL teams, because they're a monopoly, they, they haven't really had to, to really worry about this. But I think that Fathers are being asked to do more, that that traditional gender roles are changing. And a lot of there are a lot of good parents in the NFL. And now they're like, oh yeah, I I guess I shouldn't leave all of this stuff up to my spouse or my significant other. 
maybe there maybe there is an opportunity to have better stuff or the childcare aspect at the job. And we'll see which places wanted. I saw someone wrote, had a really good joke about the Chargers last night saying, of course, they've got child care because they had Antonio Cromartie and Philip Rivers. <laughs> it's 20 kids right. right there. Already you've got your own your own business. Yeah. But but I, I think built that, in. that's what I was saying last night to some friends. I was like, how much money was Philip Rivers paying a week for child care if he was using the Chargers child care? I still don't know What's how he's going to pay for college. How does well, that's easy. I think he'll his, be fine. his kid, like one of his kids is already at NC State. Like, I think NC State is like just all of your kids can just go here. But how do you get those kids to a game? That's that's what I'd love to know. Didn't there was there was a whole story that was written about the like the van that they would load up. It's right? got to be two sprinter vans, right? And one of the kids can probably drive already. So you, you, now you've already deputized the. the I, older I don't know if kids. you're doing that on game day. I I, I'm guessing you got at least one and probably two nannies. Well, let me bring up two other points to what you're saying about the the changing role of dads and childcare and all that. It's more than that too. It's also an understanding, and it's been great what's happened with mental health and an awareness that the, 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 the human being taking care of the person, it isn't just take their vital signs and take their temperature and do the, do the physical measurables of their BMI and their target weights and all that. There's so much more to that of of nutrition, health, happiness, mental health mattering to these machines, these these bodies that you are paying to crash into each other every single week and then recover every single week. What it does to the mind, what it does to the body to maintain that properly and to give, why wouldn't you give these people, these people, everything they need to operate at the absolute top of their game. How is that not the best business? That's the shocking part to me is when you start talking about training staffs being thin, not having enough, cause you're not, you're not going to have, you're not going to assign a player, a trainer, but you do need to have a robust training staff. Like we, we know from our time covering the bears that the bears were, ahead of the game in some of these regards because you would see licensed massage therapist a lot. You know, we knew what the schedule was. You know, Thursdays were the day. The guys, were the massage therapist, you could see them bringing in their tables, you know, and they, they'd come into the facility and guys would have scheduled appointments and all of this stuff. The nutrition aspect to me is the most egregious because that's the thing that can affect the bottom line of winning and losing. If you look at man games missed, and if you look at the idea of just the the main, what you ask to do, we know LeBron James spends a million dollars of his own money uh, to to maintain his health and his nutrition and his his mental and physical welfare. We know that the NBA they their their feet take a pounding. They're 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 never knees. If, if you ever get asked to no, look no, at no. an NBA player's feet, rule. don't don't. But the NFL's different. The they take years off their lives by playing your game, by playing for your with all the glory that comes with having that logo on on the plastic hat. All that glory they take years off their lives. The least you can do, I mean, just from an ethical standpoint, 
is allow them every opportunity to get the most out of what they've got when they have it for you. Here's where I think someone like Kevin Warren can have a terrific impact. Weren't the Vikings one of the higher-ranked teams when it came to some of this stuff? One could argue that that has been a continuation of stuff that Kevin Warren put into place when he was at with the Vikings. This is where if next year we see the Bears are in the same place in player surveys when it comes to facilities, their food, their nutrition, then we've all got a problem with Kevin Warren because that's this is what he's supposed to do. These are the things that that fit inside the job description of being the guy at the top of the food chain, pun intended, when it comes to Bears football. He's supposed to be checking. Like, that's what all that interviewing is for. You're, that's, you should walk through. Walk through the facility. You should sit down. See what players are eating. When the head of catering is asked, what do you need to do your job better? And it doesn't it should feel comfortable enough to answer? I need more farm to table. I need I need double the size of this kitchen. I need more of this workspace. We need a, a, a bigger walk-in cooler and stuff like that, right? I need more of a budget to I, get fresher food. I need a couple more sous chefs. Like yeah. there's, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's all, but that stuff. What's the the old adage? An, an army runs on its stomach. Like, that's, you should be looking out for that. All of that stuff should be available to the players. The childcare thing is a little bit more tricky, mainly because now you're talking about space, too. Like, where's your space? There isn't necessarily a designated space inside of a football stadium for something that grand. So it's a little bit more difficult. But the the food and the nutrition... Man, that's that should be e- one of the easier things that an organization can do to make itself run better. Well, the other stuff I laughed at was the uh, coming out of a player's pocket if they want their own hotel room on the road. What if you haven't achieved a certain vested status. veteran yeah. status? Like, so he's got a room roommate who's snoring and he doesn't sleep and he has a terrible game the next day. That's worth. It's not worth it to you to take that off the table. It's not worth it to you to make sure we're going to travel across the country and you're going to be as comfortable as we can help make you the night before a game. Well, rem- come on. Well, remember we've seen this before too. We saw this in baseball. What was what was the big story of the relationship between Jason Hayward and David Ross? That that final year, Jason Hayward paid for Ross's suites so that he could have his own room. So th- this goes on in every sport. And the, what you're talking about, like all of that stuff matters. Like all of it. Like think about how, like as an adult, like the idea of having a roommate. And the, the roommate is also a 300-pound man that probably has sleep apnea just like you do. And then I'm supposed to get up and and be ready and be alert and be awake. And the idea is to try to 
minimize all the things that don't allow you to win. This this is the sport that talks more about distraction, distraction, distraction. Oh, we can't have this guy here. He says things. He has thoughts. He's a distraction. Oh, this guy was on another team. He, he's a distraction. And then you're like, well, what about uh, are, are the players properly fed properly housed do they are they they get enough sleep do they get enough sleep or or are they worried before a game about are their kids properly taken care of that's not a distraction yeah like don't give me that crap and to see that it what it really gives you an idea of this survey is how good patrick mahomes and andy reed are because they're holding all of that crap together in kansas city you can't call yourself a first-class organization, and people will say that about Kansas City because they've won, and the players feel this way about you. That they feel like their ownership's not great, that their facilities are not great. This is a team that's been to six straight AFC championship games, and the players are doing it without the best. Now, there are going to be some people say, oh, this made them tough. Iron sharpens iron, and that's why they're so good. Why wouldn't you want your championship-winning franchise to be reflected in the way that players feel about it? Your workplace environment, it's important, and it's a battle that's being fought across this country right now. Whether we're talking about folks that are working remotely or being pushed into not working remotely when they've maybe found a better work-life balance now? Yeah, I would, I'd really like to know how many other businesses, whether you, are, whether you travel for sales or you're going to, you're, whatever you may be doing, consulting, there, travel nurses. Are there any businesses that require you to have a roommate? Like that just that seems like a vestige of sports up from like collegiate sport. What are we talking about? You're traveling. You're you're staying at a Saint Regis. You're staying at a, at a peninsula with a roommate. No, you're probably staying at the La Quinta. You're not staying at La Quinta unless Andy Garcia is doing their travel. In which case, yeah, then they're at the Kings Inn. That was the but- last time. Like I had the last time I had a roommate. Was Jeff Dickerson. And it was one of those things because the, the Bears back then would allow the media to stay at the Bears. So we get a rate, basically, at, at the hotel that they were going to be in. Never. When I traveled with them, never had a roommate. Well, this was special circumstances, so it was okay. It was we were going to Baton Rouge because the Bears had to play the Saints, and it was after Katrina. So Baton Rouge, even though the stadium, I think, holds 100,000 people, they weren't quite right. up to, no, I get it. you know what I mean? So the Bears were like, you two like each other, right? You're like, yeah, we love each other. Can you just be roommates? And we're like, yeah, we don't care. If you're doing everybody a favor under yeah. extreme circumstances. And unique. it was great. And, and we had a good time, and we, we went to the Shoney's, and it was fantastic. But and then, you get? Well, we did like all sorts. We had the crazy breakfast that morning. But the, the flip side was, and shout out to the Bears for this. The next trip was Tampa. And they were like, we appreciate you guys, you know, rooming up and other people rooming up. And then they hooked us up with like a crazy 
individuals. Like we got on like the floor where you need an extra concierge tea. floor. Yes, and the twenty four hour concierge and all. And I was like, okay, look at that. Like that's how you do it. That's the way that it's supposed to be done. We were two slug reporters, and this was two thousand and five. NFL players should be treated like that all the time because of what they put their bodies through. And its I know that it's not easy, and we're making it easier than it sounds. But if you're Kevin Warren, and, and honestly, if you're Ryan Poles, and you get this information back, and you go, hmm, that's something that we can more easily fix than the quarterback position. Let's get our people in here and say, what is it that you think we can do? And, and you know what? Beyond talking with the folks that are in charge of the food, you know you should talk to the players. It says here that you guys want more nutritious stuff. What do you mean by that? Like, what? how can we make this better? Less fast food. Fresh fruit. Farm to table. The choices themselves. Like, we have you eaten in that cafeteria, like the cafeteria in Bourbon A, right? Did you ever, or were you and Terry just like in and out? Yeah, no, we, I, I didn't. We would, I would eat in town or. So I'm going to give the Bears props again, and I'm going to give props to Olivet Nazarene for this. During training camps, they would basically have it set up where, like, here's the healthy options. And, if you're someone like Alex, who was always trying to maintain weight, here's ice cream. And french fries. Right. Like, here's all that stuff if you have to, to do some calories. But they would always make, and they would, what was cool about Olive and Nazarene, they would label the stuff, too, to kind of give you an idea of what you were ingesting. Well, a lot of college, both, both Denison and Bucknell do that. I know that for sure. But, but this was, you know, 2006. Yeah. Or whatever. Didn't have that fancy stuff at Western. Yes, you guys are leathernecks. Here's Tough. your options. Take it or don't. Take this pizza. We Eat had a it. lot. We had we had good options, but it wasn't like what you're describing. So I I mean I appreciated them. Like it was one of those things that I realized was like, oh wow, like look at this. Like this is this is well done. You have to take that type of model and bring it to the newly redone house hall. Like it's all. That, that's one of the things that I think Ryan Pace really got right, that he understood that if you're going to be spending a majority of your life at a place, if you're going to be spending 14 out of 24 hours in a place, it needs to have everything. Look, I've got a friend whose son works for Google, and this is also exacerbated there because of how expensive it is to live in the Bay Area. Oh. And you might have a, a studio apartment that you're paying $1,500 a month for or whatever it is. I mean, it could be twice that. I don't know. But when you're out on the campus, there are a lot of people who essentially are living a collegiate life post-college, making a living. But there is a full office campus, multiple cafeterias, all free, full gyms, outdoor sports, walking paths, hiking trails, and extracurricular activities. Ping pong. But, no, I mean, actual organized extracurricular intramural teams, acapella groups. 
that compete against other companies, acapella groups, other tech companies. And saying, like, you, if you don't have, if you can't get home, if it's too late, you, there's a room where you can stay if you can't get back to your apartment. And they're, if they're going to ask you to work these long hours and they're going to ask you to, for your productivity, there are these places that have sort of recapitulated essentially a college campus. But they're paying for it at least. Right. And there's child care. Of course. But it, it, but that's, I mean, the fight, I hope that I hope that people in the NFL heed what you're saying and say, you know what, let's fight the good fight when it comes to the NFLPA. Like, this is one of those things that is actually worth fighting for. It's not just the, we need another percent of the gross from the television. No, like, better food. We'd like better food. We'd like to have bigger training staffs. You're going to start asking more of us to play on Thursday nights. You're going to start moving things around. Monday nights nights and Tuesday nights. You're Mm -hmm. going to ask us. Now now you're changing the recovery clock? You want to do that? Well, you better give us every chance to actually let our minds and bodies recover. The mental health side of it is so important, too. And And it's taking... Other leagues are better at it than the NFL. Every player that I've ever talked to about this has given me a similar answer. When do you feel normal? Never during the season. Then my follow-up is usually, okay, from the time that you play a game, when do you feel like you could play a game again? Well, usually after Thursday's practice, you feel enough of yourself to go and play again. And then guys will describe it to you. Like, what do you think we do for a living? Like, this hurts, and it hurts until at least Wednesday. And you still have to figure out a way to get out there and play. Make it as easy on them as possible. It's that simple. That's Lawrence Holmes. I'm Dan Bernstein. We are the Bernstein and Holmes Show. And when we come back, let's talk about a wild, wild Bulls game last night. I have some statistics that have been provided that put it in historical context as crazy as that was. That's next on The Score. You're listening to Bernstein and Holmes. Middays 10 to 2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score. In Odyssey. In Odyssey. In Odyssey. In Odyssey. In Odyssey. In Odyssey. Rebound Drummond. Who else Drummond? And he's going to dribble it out. Ball game over. And we need to dance. We're talking dance. We're talking dance. Bulls win. Bulls win. Bulls win, 132-123, double overtime. You've got to love it. What about Boogie? Why are we not boogieing? What happened to the Boogie? Because usually we dance, and, I was, I and then boogie. we boogie. And I, I was boogieing. That was a wild let's game. Let's dance. Let's party. Let's boogie. Yeah, all three. Yeah, we didn't get a party or a boogie. Double it was extra dancing win. because the loss to the Pistons was yeah. so demoralizing. Or, or maybe you only get to dance because you boogie for two overtimes. Think about if you t- had actually taken care of business against the worst team in basketball where you were favored by 11 points. What would we be talking about with this Bulls team right now on that run? That'd be this three is- consecutive wins, two wins over playoff teams. It's the mark of an inconsistent Exactly. It's exactly what it is. That you couldn't muster the effort. And really, that's all it would have taken. It was a little more effort against Detroit. 
like the effort from last night's game, from the second quarter on, if that's the type of effort you showed against Detroit, you beat them by 15 points. Well, that's why DeMar DeRozan was up until 6 a.m. last night, which is what he told reporters after the game. Because he just was so bothered? Yeah, very bothered. Well, let me just give you some numbers here. Before we hear from the man of the hour, owner Ralph Batim, who made his debut. By the way, I, I got confirmation that you are saying that correctly. Well, yes, because I think uh, Jason spoke to him several times covering Windy City games, and he has he corrected me the first time because he's he's, he's seen him play all year and has been telling me that he needs work on defense, needs some work on toughness, but can, can really stroke it. He's athletic, too. Yeah. He tries. So here's some numbers. This is from Jeff Fairer, our guy. The Bulls with 74 rebounds and a 35-plus rebounding margin. The first time in history to go 70-plus and plus 35 since November 26th of 1971. The lineup that night, Jerry Sloan, Bob Love, Chet Walker, Clifford Ray, and Bob Weiss, the first two off the bench, were Norm Van Leer and Tom Borwinkle. It is only the 40th time in league history a team has had 70-plus rebounds and a 35-plus rebounding margin. The last time it happened was in 2021, New Orleans against Cleveland, with Allen and Okoro in that one, too. The time before that was 1994. That was the Spurs at the Warriors. Andre Drummond's 26 rebounds were the most by a Bulls player since... Andre Drummond. Nope. Oh. Since this guy had 27. Dennis Rodman. Nope. Nikola Vucevic. Nope. Luke Longley. Nope. December of 06. Will Purdue. Ben Wallace. Ben Wallace at 27. A Bulls player has had 26 or more rebounds in a game only 15 times. DeMar DeRozan. The only player in Bulls history to, to be at least 34 years old and record a line of 35 points, 10 rebounds, and 5 assists. It's only happened 33 times in NBA history. Mostly by LeBron. 10 times. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So those are the numbers. See, see what he did last night in the fourth quarter? Yeah. Not, he's 39! Start with taking care of your body and what it means. He's 39! The funny, the funny part Dude. about that... Is that there was a LeBron had posted a video that he and his daughter were having cheat day. He's just got this huge plate of French toast. Just him and his daughter just sitting there on the couch watching Tom and Jerry. This huge plate of French toast. And he's like, Yep, we are about to we are about to go to work on this breakfast right here. And the daughter's like, Yeah. And they're just having a good time. He's out there being a good dad. That's living, man. Have at it. Now we're out of time to hear from the our Turkish Sorry. treat. We can we can find some time a little bit later. We should hear from him. Yeah, we'll yeah, we'll figure something out. The reason why we're out of time is that we have to go to Indianapolis. Not us, but oh. the show oh. has to go to Indianapolis to to talk to our guy Dan Weederer about the Bears and quarterbacks and what's being asked and when might we hear news of things that are percolating about. It's next here on The Score. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. 
Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is back. And so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Dan Weederer, on-air contributor for 670 The Score. You're going to be relying on a lot of young players, guys that have to materialize into who they thought they were. The Bears are who we thought they were. When either they drafted them or guys that they believe in that were already here, that's guys like Justin Fields. Bears beat reporter and enterprise writer for the Chicago Tribune. We'll mention this mainly because Chicago Tribune writer Dan Weederer said we would mention this nugget. I leave here tonight just thinking that maybe this was just a timely reminder that this team isn't there yet, and they're a long way from there yet, and this climb is really steep. Dan Wiederer. Get your track shoes on. With Bernstein and Holmes on 670 The Score. He's there. He's in all of it right now. Dan Wiederer of the Chicago Tribune joins us on the Circa Resort and Casino Hotline, CircaLasVegas.com. Dan, I guess the conclusion that we've all drawn is that things seem to be coming together as far as the Bears' plans. It's unlikely they're going to be this open discussing a trade of Justin Fields if they weren't actually going to trade Justin Fields. It feels like that is going to happen. What do we know as far as what's next? Yeah, Dan, it's a good question because I think the that is hard to decipher right now because it's been really hard here over the last few days to get a true gauge for the teams that are serious about Justin Fields and, and, and have an offer on the table. And so right now I think Ryan Poles is trying to feel that out in terms of um, converting interest into an actual offer. And so right now it seems like it's a little bit of a holding pattern and, and we kind of just have to wait to see uh, if he gets a, a suitor and if he gets multiple suitors and then how he can kind of play the game of poker from there. Yeah, it, it's interesting because with free agency and there being some choices to make for right. teams that are looking for quarterbacks, like they, the, the timing of it is, is – uh, very important for the Bears and, and obviously for, for Justin, but that throws a wrench into this thing, doesn't it? In, in, a wrench in which way? In, in like the teams that may need a quarterback could use right, like, free agency to, to exactly. fill that void. Exactly. And so that, that, you know, like you guys know that this week is a lot of feeling out between uh, teams and agents, teams and teams. And that, like that process is ongoing. And you're right, Lawrence, because um, until you have some clarity on what the actual items on the menu are, you can't really order, you know? And so we're kind of in that stage now for, for teams that are in need of a quarterback to try to figure that out and then kind of put their pecking order of what, what their plan A is, what their plan B is, what their plan C is. You know, Kirk Cousins was a guy that a lot of people were interested to see if he was going to be on the market as a veteran that you could uh, put into a team that seems ready to win. Well, now it seems like all the momentum is moving towards him staying in Minnesota. And so now teams that, may have had him on their, their radar are saying, okay, which direction do we pivot from there? And so there's a lot of that going on, and that's going to continue probably uh, through Sunday. I really enjoyed – I really liked your question that you asked Ryan Poles about the, the Kansas City quarterback process when you guys yeah. got to talk to him a few days ago. What, what did you want to try and find out 
when when asking that question? Yeah, well, I was hoping for a better answer, to be honest with you, and I think there's more time to get at it. But it's it's just that, you know, like, like Ryan was in the center of what is widely regarded as a, a total jackpot in terms of quarterback evaluation, aggressiveness to get him, uh, setting him up for success. Like, that experience is informative, and that experience is most likely going to shape the way he goes about evaluating this draft class. And as a, a couple people have said to me this week, in the process of evaluating the draft class, you need to simultaneously be planning what you're going to do with the prospect that you pick, you know? And so it is kind of a multi-pronged approach here of of figuring that out. Ryan had that experience in Kansas city. It's one that you're never going to be able to carbon copy, but you can certainly learn things from it. Um, You know, we've talked previously about how, you know, they didn't get fixated on the concerns with Patrick. They got fixated on the gifts and the gifts convinced them that he was going to be a difference-making quarterback. I don't think anyone in that organization would lie to you and tell you that they were predicting three Super Bowls in his first <laughs> six years starting, but they saw something there, right? And, and, and so, so that process should be helpful to Ryan uh, as he kind of puts his troops out in the next month and a half to, to continue the scouting process on Caleb Williams, on Jaden Daniels, on the rest of this quarterback draft class. Dan, help me flesh out a thought that I, it's sort of been swirling in my head over the last couple of days regarding – the larger sort of secular position of quarterback and the way teams look at it. Like if 15 years ago, if the bears had Justin Fields, for example, we wouldn't be talking at all probably about them saying, well, it's it's got to improve. It's got to improve. They got to cut bait. They got to move. And this hasn't worked where now this, the overall standard for quarterback play of whatever numbers you want to put on it or the eye test is so much higher now, and we've seen it happen at other positions. We've seen it happen with the expected standard of play at wide receiver, where the the third wide receiver on a team right now, 15 years ago, would be a number one. I mean, we considered elite. Just these are the skills you have to have to play the position. Are we going to get whether it's this draft, the the previous year, or the year later? Maybe call it the Patrick Mahomes effect, but is this going to be like what Steph Curry did? About, about NBA and shooting, are we getting to the point where we're, we're going to recognize, after the fact, a change in standard at the position? There's a change in standard, and I think it's also married up with a difference in the hourglass, if that makes sense. You know, head coaches are feeling the ticking clock in their heads at all times. General managers are feeling the ticking clock in their heads at all times. And there's certain timelines within the league that tell you, you know, like you have to – make decisions and react on this time schedule. And if you don't, you may never have that job again, you know? And so I, I feel like that pressure is, is significantly higher than it was 15 years ago. Then you have this situation where you have these quarterbacks that have come in and had early success and shown you that if you can do that, if you can be Patrick Mahomes, I like to use Josh Allen when we're talking about the bears, because he walked into a situation in Buffalo that is so similar to where the bears are now. Haven't been able to sustain any sort of success for a quarter century, haven't been able to get in the playoffs at all. And now all of a sudden they're in January football every single year, you know? And so, so, so the, the understanding that that guy has to be the engine that takes your entire franchise to the level you, you want to go to just, I think it's, it's increased all the things that you talked about, just the, 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 the elevated standard and the push to try to find and get that guy as soon as possible. Because if you don't, there's a whole bunch of job applicants waiting outside your door to take that, that desk that you're sitting at. You wrote about the vetting process on Caleb Williams, and, and I'm, I'm curious to know, and a lot of it's in the piece, but from the people that you talk to, 
Which do you think is more vital now to the Bears to find out, whether it's the stuff that's on tape or the stuff that you can't see? No, it's 100% the stuff that you can't see, and it's going to be a really interesting process over the next six weeks. Obviously, they got 18 minutes with him last night here in Indianapolis. That's just the the icebreaker and and helps set them up um, to start a relationship that's going to have to continue when they go to the pro day in the middle of next month when they, um, you know, likely have a private dinner with him when they bring him into Lake Forest to have an all-day visit at Hallis Hall. And so I think there's, there's so much of this that becomes the gut feel on that level, Lawrence, where you just want to feel connected to the guy. You want to feel like he's connected to you and the organization and the expectations and the standards that we just talked about. And so you, you really got to dive into that. Caleb Williams is a fascinating dude on that level because one of the things that, that I, you know, I kind of look back on the piece that I did for today and, and was kind of taken by is the fact that you can talk to three different people in an hour and get – three different thoughts on the same topic, you know? And so it it reminds you that this is why it's an exact science because the passing game coordinator at USC may tell you one thing. And then somebody else that sat down with them in a different environment may may tell you another thing. And so when you're in your room as a front office and you're setting your draft board and you're having all these conversations, you have to to have a a feeling on which one you're putting more stock into. And and it's difficult to do that. And uh, with Caleb, you know, I think that the thickness of the skin and the ability to be that commanding leader in a market like this is something that's got to be at the forefront of everything they're doing in that evaluation. The Bears were, their head coach was graded a B by Bears players, dinged for not necessarily listening to the locker room, as as we read. And that's fine that uh, there may be a quibble here or there. This is a defensive, not just a defensive-minded head coach, but your defensive play caller. And he's decided he's going to continue to be concentrating there. You're having these meetings with a quarterback. You're right. having these meetings with the most the most important single position in all of team sports that is not on the defensive side of the ball, and you just hired a new offensive coordinator who may matter more to Caleb Williams than even the head coach and you know yep. a, a rah-rah speech here or there. Like this, the uncertainty of this, where the Bears themselves may not exactly know how Waldron is coming across. Do you know what his role is in these interviews and how important it is that any of these quarterbacks that you decide that you're going to pick is going to have the right relationship with the coach that matters more to him? Dan, it's like at the center of everything because you have to be able to get almost an instant connection between the play caller and the quarterback. So you don't spend a season and a half trying to figure out what works and what doesn't. You know, how many times have we gone through this in Chicago and banged our head through a wall because those things aren't aligned? I think there's some level of surprise still in the league that the Bears decided to double down and keep Matt Eberflus around simply because he's a defensive-minded coach with zero – nothing on his resume that tells you he's got a track record of seeing – high-level quarterback development through, you know, peripherally in the center of his focus, whatever it is, it's not there. And so now you're left in that guessing game at a pivotal point with the organization. Shane Waldron just got in the building. He was just introduced to us last week. He's still trying to figure out who his colleagues are and what they're doing. And now you're entering this period of the next six to seven weeks where he's going to be at Ryan pulls his hip and they're going to go to all these stops and he's going to have to be central to helping them answer questions. And the most important question being is, am I connected with this prospect? I had, um, uh, assistant coach in the league say that like one of the things that he changed about the way he evaluates players is when he sits down with them, it's not just about, okay, here's the skill set, Here's the talent. It's like, which one of these guys would I enjoy coaching the most? Mm-hmm. Right. And which one is going to, going to bring that, that passion and that fuel 
where we connect on a level where we can get each other to the next level. And so that, like, that's, a, that's an interesting way to look at it because that relationship is more important than ever. And certainly with a defensive-minded coach, it's, it's, it's central to what the Bears are doing. Speaking of the surveys, you would be the right person to ask about this because you saw it up close. We see the the Vikings are, were higher ranked in certain situations than the Bears were, and I do think that there's probably some residue from the changes yeah. that Kevin Warren made in the Vikings organization. One of the things I said to Dan earlier, Dan, was that if the Bears end up in this survey next year where they're not happy with the training staff, they're not happy with the food and nutrition aspect, I would be shocked. You saw changes happen up close in Minnesota. Is it fair to to give that to Kevin Warren and say that's something that he for sure can make a difference in? I mean, I wouldn't overstate that. I mean, I think that's all about what you're trying to create organizationally in terms of just knowing what standards are and what's going to help your people do their job at a higher level, you know, and I, I give credit to the NFLPA for, for doing this survey the last two years, because I do think it's informative. It's informative to the players. It's informative to the organizations. It kind of gives you, um, you know, an unfiltered look at, at where people are happy with you and where they're not. I'm still waiting for uh, the survey that asks the media what they think of things. And, and so, so, so we can weigh in and I'll be waiting a while. <laughs> maybe, maybe we can do that on the show next week and I can, I can uh, let you guys know a few things, but no, like I think, I think these things are important. And I, I think that the, the, the right organizations take that criticism constructively and they figure out how to get better. I think, you know, you, you look at the bears, uh, one of the things in that survey was they, they added, you know, childcare on game days at the stadium, little thing, right. But if it helps you as a player feel like your family logistics are, are squared away on the day that you need to be at your absolute best performing great, you know? And so now you're just looking for all those little improvements and, and to the, the central part of your question, Lawrence, like I think Kevin is aware of those things. It's part of uh, the strength in his skill set, And I would imagine that they would sit down and talk about the things they did well the things they didn't and try to improve on. And one little footnote to that, I do think Ryan Pace deserves a ton of credit yes, me too. for his vision in the facilities. You know, the, the things that he did to, to upgrade that building are still being felt, you know? And so, um, yeah, that's a, a small footnote. Well, and a lot part. of that, believe it or not, was due to the constant whining, grumbling, and complaining of John Fox. <laughs> no well, joke. You know, no joke. Like, gets the oil, right? Yeah, like, that it, was that was the, when he walked in and looked at everything. He's yeah. like, "This isn't the way that it's supposed know, we to need go." Another practice field. Like his, I, I, I'm not kidding. He he was such a pain in everybody's ass with his constant complaining about lack of quality. Where they they actually shut him up and, and did something about it's it. It's all a problem. I, I saw John last night on the way out. He was coming out. I was going into an establishment uh, later in the evening and said hello to him a little bit. But you're right, and, and th- th- there's a lot to that. Um, you know, th- this circling it back to Kevin Warren for a second, one of the reasons that he wanted to do those sit-down interviews with all the employees in the building is to get some of those complaints on the table and to understand, like, this is these are areas we're lacking. These are things that make people unhappy. These are things that stress people out. Let's try to improve those. And if we improve those to a level where people start to do their job better and come in here more excited about doing their job, results in every department should be better. And ultimately, obviously, we all know that the the results on the football field are the most important. And so maybe some of this matters. Dan, how do the Bears keep themselves from fixating on Caleb? Not that they shouldn't because, you know, you've got the number one pick, so you're holding all the cards. But how do you make it so that, like, look, we think that he's the guy, but we have to make sure that someone else isn't the guy. How do they go about doing that? 
you just you do your homework the same way with the other guys. You know, I mean, I, I think at this point you can probably have your list, especially when you're picking number one overall and there's, you know, not, not a lot of choices. Now, if you have desires on trading back beyond three, well, then maybe your list needs to be longer. But I think you could probably narrow it down to three guys right now where you really do the intense homework on all of them the same way. You have the same set of things, right? Like we know in 2017 that the Bears didn't do the same things with Deshaun Watson that they did with Patrick Mahomes and Mitch Trubisky. You, you want to be able to uh, let every guy give you their chance to sell themselves to you, you know, and, and let you feel what their motivations are, what their strengths are, all those things. And so, yeah, I mean, look, like you got to be centrally diving down on Caleb for sure because it, everybody here seems to think like it's a, it's a no-brainer pick for them unless they find something crazy on the character uh, checklist that, that gives them pause. But you can't shortchange yourself. And, I, you know, I've said for a while, and Ryan has agreed with this, that it's okay. This isn't marriage. Like, you can fall in love with more than one quarterback. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then, and then try to figure out and sift through it from there. You don't have to say, oh, it's, it's you know, <laughs> we got to be monogamous in this process, and we like this guy, and we're going to be, you know, blinders on, centrally focused on him. And so, yeah, I think the key is just making sure that you have those discussions regularly about not cheating yourselves in the evaluations of all these other guys. This may be a silly question, but it's one that I asked yesterday. The Bears in their interviews like to loosen everything up and sort of so socialize <laughs> things with, with put, like, a, like a putting green or darts. Have you ever asked, is it okay if the interviewee says, I would rather not do either and let's just sit and talk? <laughs> I have questions and I, I, don't, I don't need this. Is that okay? Uh, that's a great question. My, my guess would be that it would raise an eyebrow. You know, it would be like, okay, why, like, why don't you want to do this? We're just trying to break the ice here. We're trying to get a little feel for your personality and, and your competitiveness. If, if, you, if you decline that, uh, I think it would probably go into your file. You know, and when you walked out of the room, everybody would look around at one another and go like, why didn't he want to do that? I mean, I, you know, I mean, it, maybe it's because he thinks it's stupid. <laughs> you can tell them that in uh, early May, right? Like what, what, when you know that uh, your contract is secure, then you can tell them that, that that was pretty stupid. I didn't want to do it. But I mean, it's a 35 second thing. I, I, I would hope that it wouldn't be a uh, major holdup for, for many of these guys. Dan, we appreciate the time. Have fun down there. Yeah, Lawrence, I'm uh, I'm not as young as I once was, and so the fun uh, catches up to you by by Thursday afternoon. Oh, fun. hold on a second. If you're if you're going into an establishment when John when, Fox right, is walking when out, John of one, Fox is coming on. out. I don't want to hear Weaver. that. The evidence does not say what you claim. <laughs> John, John Fox has also gotten older, as he said, as he was coming out the revolving doors last night and said, "I'm, I'm older than I once was. I, I can't stay out of with you guys anymore." Yeah, so uh, everybody's getting older. Everybody's getting older. Dan, have fun. Thanks, man. We appreciate you. CFL. And from what I know, it's better for the establishment and society if John Fox leaves earlier. I don't know about that. It's just it's better for you know, Dan has a has a great property and great John Fox impression that he'll do on the Take the North Pod every now and then. So we need we need right. Dan and Layla's John Fox. Like that's what we now need. Whenever we have like conversations about him. Let's have a conversation about the Cubs as currently constructed when we come back. Because it looks like this is this is it. It's probably it. Probably it. Barring is this enough? Unforeseen circumstances. Not sure. There were some opinions on what we should expect and why at least one person believes that this roster as it is is going to be better, more productive than last year's. All right. Let's get into that next here on The Score. Bernstein and Holmes, middays 10 to 2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I think everyone felt it and knew it. It's just this game is it is business, unfortunately, and um, there's always some challenges that go with that. But uh, I know everybody, you know, in this whole process worked hard to make sure that it could happen because he, he fits our team in so many different areas and uh, can cover so many, you know, different holes, whether it's defensively or offensively. So uh, excited to have him back and, uh, you know, more and more start to feel like we, we're starting to kind of develop a little bit of an identity and can actually build off of something from last year, so. Dansby Swanson getting ready for his second season after surprisingly being the best of that free agent shortstop crop for one year. See if he can keep it up as he gets into the ages at which guys tend to drop off and the ages at which when you play every single game, it may tend to degrade your play late in the season. He's also doing a great job as assistant general manager of the Cubs. Indeed. So I think the Cubs are probably done. Maybe there will be late in camp and a bullpen arm that's available. But for the most part, I think not only is the 26-man roster going to be set, I think there's more certainty about the 40-man than there is about the actual Major League roster. You have P. Crow Armstrong making the team? I don't. I don't either. I, I, I hope he Because he, he probably needs the at-bats. I, I want him to go learn how to hit. I want to see that. At AAA, go consistently. Make it impossible for me to keep you down in AAA. To call you back up because, I mean, look, Matt Mervis made it impossible for them to keep him in AAA. That's what you got to do, though. And then he you... got to the major leagues That's and okay. was like, oh, boy. He earned it. Yeah, 100%. He earned, he earned the call-up and he earned the demotion, too. Yeah, that's fine. That's what the system is designed to do. But it really looks to me like the Cubs are pretty pleased with what they've put together. And you think, well, wait a second. They won 83 games last year, right? How- 83. And you, now you you're, you were down a starting pitcher because you had that great, great yes. first half from Stroman. You know, and so you don't have him anymore. So are you are you as good as you were? I, I know that when we were talking about this yesterday in transition with Parkins and Spiegel, I, I like what you said. How did you phrase it about the the CBT? Like, they don't hand out trophies for... For smart contracts. I guess yeah. they were going through. They don't, have any, they don't have any bad contracts. But there's no award for being the team with the fewest bad contracts. I know that, that, that I didn't follow Jed's advice and I should have or maybe I shouldn't have but he said after the council thing like this isn't a harbinger of we're gonna be big players in free agency and all of this stuff I it was hard for me to look at it any other way though like if you're making this type of an investment in a manager don't you have to give him some things to to manage not that he doesn't have it, but you would think that they would go all out to try and make this the the most like bulletproof roster that you could put together. And I don't think they've done that. I, I just don't feel like they've done enough. And maybe that means I'm not giving Council enough credit for how valuable they think he is and how valuable he can be. Ray, you're, you're our resident Cubs fan here. They got... Bellinger back, 
and that's good. Do you feel like they've done enough? I don't. And I've been in agreement with Layla, who weeks ago said, it's great if you sign Cody Bellinger again, Cubs, but that's not going to be enough. What else are you going to do to improve the team? And I, I've felt that way. I wanted Bellinger to come back, of course, but what else? I mean, sure, they, they've got uh, Imanaga in the rotation. That's that's great. I love that. But I still feel like they could use another reliable arm in that rotation. All right, let me give you a, a brief dissenting opinion here. Okay. And this was Tony Andraki of the Marquee Network. He was on Mully and Haw this morning and asked why he believes the Cubs, as currently constructed already, should be better this season. Jed pointed to this a bunch, and the Cubs talked about the whole – uh, like performing, not performing very well in high leverage moments. So they're by the run differential, all that stuff. They should have won 90 games last year. Now they are what their record says they are. So they won 83. They missed the playoffs by one game. That that's what actually happened. But I think the team on the field was a team that was capable of winning up to 90 games last year. So if you're bringing back most of that crew, obviously Stroman's the one really big loss there, but think Imanaga can possibly put up you know similar numbers the Cubs are very hopeful for that but I also just like the the pitching depth and some of these young guys that are coming in you know whether it's Jordan Wicks or Javier Saad or Hayden Wisniewski who I mentioned or you know Caleb Killian's looked good this spring he's a guy that I think some people have forgotten about uh there's probably one or two other guys in there for sure but you know then there's Drew Smiley around and then is Kate Horton come up at some point does Ben Brown help out uh, some of these other youngsters, like Matt Shaw's looked good. Does he help at some point this year? Does Michael Bush take that next step that the Cubs think he can? I think there are a lot of ifs, for sure. There are there are a lot of question marks. But I do feel pretty confident the Cubs can be better than last year because of the council effect, because I think they got unlucky and performed poor in high-leverage moments last year, which is randomness. You know, it could turn very, very easily for this season. And I just like their overall, like, pitching picture, that and these some of these young guys that can like help take the next step this season. Now, I don't want to call captain variants away from more important things that the captain is doing right now, out helping other worlds and other universes. So, no, 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 no. Don't send the signal out for captain variants. But he's busy. It's not his time yet. There will be a time for captain variants. But uh, I just want you guys to know we have more than one musical choice for Captain Variance. Okay. But uh, Clay Davenport, uh, Clay Davenport of Baseball Prospectus, has sort of pioneered this idea of third order winning percentage. What does that mean? It is we we hear about Pythagorean record all the time. Pythagorean record is what what your record should be based on the runs you score and the runs your opponents score, and that gives you a, a, a blunt tool to apply to where you should be. Yeah. Which a lot of teams. A lot of teams will use to measure managers' success or failure. Third-order winning percentage is a turbocharged version of that, where Clay Davenport has done more than just use runs. It's adjusted equivalent runs, which it uses also the quality of each team's opponent's pitching and defense. So, like, the Cubs clobbered the Oakland Athletics last year. They won those games by 15 to nothing and 12 to 2 and all this. And everyone said, well, why are you using run differential? Well, that team sucks. Well, that's what third-order record is designed to do, to, to use linear weighting and all that to balance for all of this. And based on that last year, the Cubs won the division. 
First order record, they won 90 and a half wins, and the Brewers were at 89-7. But when they did all the math and did the third quarter, third order record with everything involving opponents, the Cubs were at 88.7. The Brewers were at 86. And yet, the Brewers actually won 92, and the Cubs won 83. So is is the real easy difference to look at and say, well, they had Craig Council and you had David Ross. I don't. I think that's too simplistic. That is, that too is, productive, but not wrong. It is both simplistic and reductive and informative, because I I know for a fact the Cubs believe that that had something to do with it. And sure, there is variance in here. That not, not sometimes it things it's just luck. It's just variance. But if you do this enough. If you play to your underlying statistics and your record, the Cubs should have won 89 games last year. They should have. And they feel that way. Whether you can point to Seiya Suzuki dropping a ball or Ian Happ dropping a ball or Dansby Swanson being tired or somebody leaving a pitch in the zone, regardless of all of those things, they should have won 89 games and they didn't. And they just want to be at a point where they win what the numbers say they should win. I mean, there's two things inside of what Tony said that I'm I would like push back on. One of them is I don't know what Imanaga is. Like I, I would love to feel better. I mean, m- most things that I've read or the YouTube videos that I've seen seem to put him as a middle of the rotation starter, but that's. That's all projection. Like, I I wish there was more that I could pull from his resume that would allow me to feel better. The other part is, it's been a long time since we've had a, a big discussion about the value of manager. I personally feel like it matters a lot. Most people don't. Most people d- don't think that, you know, that the managers are worth more than two or three games. That would have made the difference for the Cubs last year by the way, I believe in investing in smart people that are disruptive and interesting. And I think that Craig Council is that. I just go, you could have done more with the roster itself that allows allows the margin to not be as small. Where, sure, maybe Craig Council is worth four games more than David Ross. But I'd why don't you add that to a player that's going to be worth two or three more wins versus what you already have? The Michael Bush thing is a question for me. I get that he was blocked, but you're asking him now to be your starting first baseman. And it's another one of those things, well, I, it makes sense, but I don't know how, how I don't feel comfortable that I know how that's going to go. And if you, asked me to make a bet on it, I would bet the negative. That it's probably going to go badly for him instead of, oh, it's, he's going to be great and everything's going to be fine. I will say the projections from the Japanese league to MLB have gotten better. Closer, yeah. They've done a better job of, and of being able to project statistics and scout just because there's been a, more of a sample size and people have done more work on it. So you're not having the, – the misses aren't as wild as they used to be. 
But well, even you, even if he's projected as a three and he's really a five, like, you yeah, know the, what I mean? Like, it's, I don't know. This it, is, if, if you go with the idea, as we heard from from Tony and Drackey, like, okay, he is the Marcus Stroman replacement. Well, Marcus Stroman gave you a strong half of a season, and you hope for something more than that for the guy who's going to be what that you hope to be your number three. And it's weird because I feel like the Cubs, when you're talking about the 40-man roster, I feel like the Cubs have depth. I don't know if they have good depth, though. Like, they've got some guys that we know about, but I'm, I, don't feel, I don't feel great about their roster. Like that, that's the conclusion that I've drawn. I don't feel great about the Cubs roster going into the 2024 season. And I think the, the point that Jed is trying to make is you didn't think when last year began that Justin Steele was going to get Cy Young votes. Yeah, but and what they're saying isn't is he a candidate to, for regression? Yeah, sure. I would also I bet on Jamison Tyone this year. I would not. I would. I would. I will bet that he has a higher WAR than he had last year. What was the WAR number for him last year? One point six. I will. I will bet you he has a higher WAR this year than last year. I. I don't like that bet. I would I would rather it be this way. I will bet you that his war won't be over two. I'll take that. I'll take that. You got him over two? Do I get two or over? Yeah. I just need a two on the front. Yeah, that's for Jameson Tyone's fan graphs. Fan graphs. War for in full next year. He has to be worth two wins. You're gonna go gonna go a dollar Mortimer? Crisp yeah. new dollar, yeah. Crisp new dollar. All right, I'll do that. I will. I will. I will bet on on improvement of Jameson Tyone. I believe in him. Okay, I've been wrong before. Oh, we all are. It's it's not. You know, it's and not I, just I, you. you know, I don't make I don't make many bets. I, I made yeah. the Pirates bet last year. I owe you. Yeah, I know. Oh wait, or yeah, I do. Yeah. What were we doing? Dinner or wine? They weren't. That they weren't going to have a single player with a higher word anybody on the Sox, right? <laughs> Luis Roberts saved you. Yes, he, he really did. did. Well, I, that, I I bet on that. Yes, because other than him, oh, go Pirates. Oh, I know, <laughs> I know. But they had some hot starts that cooled off, and so. But yeah, so what did we bet on that? Was that chicken or was that a dollar? I think it was a glass of wine. I think we were going to go down to. Oh, and get like a twenty dollars glass of wine or yeah. whatever it is down there. Yeah, I'll, I'll make you do that. I don't care. That's fine. All right, we'll let it ride. Put it on the tab. We'll just we'll keep All right. it, we'll keep a tab. Yeah. I always did that with my friends. We had a tab, and then the tab would every day at midnight would reset to zero. <laughs> well, I don't want to do that. You should be paid. Oh, we were betting millions. It was great. Oh, well, I don't have. Put it, it on the tab. Put it on. Put it on my tab. Uh, High noon is coming up next. I have a nine one one call that is both hilarious and chilling. I have a corporate statement that then was completely unwound oh. via via a quote unquote clarification that was a lot more than a clarification when this is a lesson in think it through. Just think it through. We'll do all that next. Bernstein at Homes, middays 10 to 2. On Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. I'll be back this way on Monday. We'll settle this then. Right there. 
Out in the street, in front of the palace saloon. Yeah, right. When? High noon? Done a lot today, actually, in the first almost two hours of this show. We talked a little bit about the these NFL player surveys and some of the truths that they expose, not about this team or that, just in general, how where the failings have been for a gazillion-dollar league to do right by their players' mental and physical health and wellness and sleep. Get it better. Get it right. There's no excuse for any of this being... Any, every team should get an A. Every NFL team should get an A, and it should be a, a league rule that they do what they do to get an A. Uh, we discussed the historic Bulls game last night with those rebounding numbers and everything that happened. It's just too bad that they had the, the, the big turd against the Pistons that sort of ruined what could be a fun stretch for them. Dan Wiederer gave us some um, intense insight into what the Bears are doing right now. And then we debated whether or not the Cubs have done enough. I ran across this, and when I initially saw it, I was like, that's hilarious. And then I listened to it, and I'm like, it's still hilarious, but now it's also a little jarring. Check out this 911 call. Half point 911, what is your emergency? Yes, this is Jesus Christ, and I just broke into the Pizza Hut. I broke the window, and I'm here. Jesus is here now. He's back He's back to earth. All right, and uh, you don't work there? No, I just broke in, had a pizza. I'm Jesus. And what was your name again? My name is Jesus. What's your last name, Jesus? Christ. Okay. And what do you look like? I look like Jesus. What else am I supposed to look like? Why did you do that? Because I'm Jesus. I can do whatever I want. We're uh, tired of Judas is on this earth. We're going to clean this earth up. So what are you up to? Man, where do you live at? I don't. I'm from heaven. How'd you get over over to the Pizza Hut? I'm from heaven, sir. Okay. And did you break a front window? Yeah, I broke the door window, sir. And did you eat a pizza? Yeah. Had a Mountain Dew. Jesus. You said it, man. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> with the Jesus. See, I was, you know, I was well, like... Let me say this. Based on his answers... He's pretty consistent. Very. Like, I mean, I, we can't rule out the fact that he's telling the truth. Well, here's the thing, though. One inconsistency is if you just appeared, in, you know, like. Right, why'd you have to break in? Why'd you, you have, have to, to break, break in? into the pizza hut? Yeah, exactly. Who knew that, that Jesus did the do? Where was that? I don't even know. It was fine until I got to clean some of this stuff up. Then well, it was the like, hey, hey. Oh, but that guy's sticking to his story, though. And he offered the fact that he had a Mountain Dew? I yeah. believe that what he believes he's Jesus. What do you think I look like? I look like Jesus. I look like Jesus. Yeah, what's my, what do you mean, what's how, my last name? How'd you get here? Come on, you know how I got Where here. do you live? Heaven. Heaven. Yeah, I, I agree with Lawrence, though. It was all fun until it got to that part where he's going to clean up these streets. about the Judases. Yeah. It's, it's a little dangerous. <laughs> I also enjoyed the 911 operator being like, okay. Okay, what's your last name? Of course, Christ. Okay, got it. No, but he kind of had the the Hawk Harrelson, all right, this initial reaction. Sure, you're Jesus. Okay. Just tell us where you're at. But if he were Jesus, 
That would be the response, though. Like, if you're sure you are. I mean, but Jesus also wouldn't, need, especially the version that comes back. Right. The version that was here before might have a need to break into. The version that comes back, he not break. He don't need to break into nothing. It'll all open up. Everything's fine. He's back. I'm in trouble. Yeah, I, I'm I mean, probably gonna get up out of here. This, there's a whole revelations thing. It doesn't end well for some of us. Well, a lot of people <laughs> to be know, a little hot. It, you, your folks stopped reading that book after the yeah, the yeah, first I, book I know, was but, over. But that, was, that was because he didn't think he was coming back. You you won't be the only That's, one that was, in trouble. That was kind I'll of just a, say that. That was kind of the calculus there. It's like <laughs> yeah, he's not coming back. He's not the son of God, and it's all that's yeah, all. you won't be back. Right. I don't. I, but if, right, but he's, if he's actually back, like I, I'm, I might have to go. Well, you're gonna go somewhere. I know. Like I say, well, no, I you won't go anywhere. We'll go. Yeah, and you'll, you'll be stuck you'll here. Stu- no, and then you'll go. No, there's the Lake of Fire. I, I need to freshen fell up on into the burning lake of fire. So, if you're around, if you're looking for Jesus, Jesus is apparently hanging out at the Pizza Hut. Well, what we need him to do, there is uh, there's another fast food uh, company that might need a little heavenly guidance. They here. definitely need some Jesus <laughs> because Wendy's think it through, man. Wendy's CEO less than two weeks ago on its earnings call told shareholders it would quote begin testing more enhanced features like dynamic pricing, and dynamic ah. pricing is what you understand with Uber and Ticketmaster. It's surge pricing when there's increased demand. And they were talking about new menu boards to give them flexibility to change the display. So all of a sudden, once the lunch rush hits, your Baconator goes from $5.99 to $7.99. And then maybe it drops down later in the day. So as Craig Calcaterra wrote, the, the commercials write themselves. If you are a competitor, the oppo. the oppo spots where a minivan full of kids pulls up and all of a sudden the harried mom looks out. It's like, okay, kids, what do you want? All the nuggets. And then and all of a sudden, whoop, the prices go through the roof. Oh, kids, we're going to go across the street to where we know things cost. Oh, mom. So, or we, we can't afford this, kids. Let's go over to McDonald's. Right. It's too easy. So they got absolutely... Clowned. It's another case of, of the internet bullying working. It worked. As long as you're punching up instead of down, it's a place where the memes come to get you, like they did for the, the Cubs hashtag. So now they're saying they have no plans for surge pricing. They said the menu board comments, they're saying were misconstrued. They're in, offended that you call In media reports as an intent to raise prices when demand is highest. The media's fault. This is their updated official statement. We have ah. no plans to do that and would not raise prices when our customers are visiting, visiting us most. And they go through here some of the, the idea of what dynamic pricing is and how it is simply more efficient price gouging, which is exactly what it is. In an earlier statement, Wendy's noted that menu items would get cheaper during slow times of the day. This other feature of dynamic pricing, the company did not clarify that surge pricing would not occur. And now they've gone back and tried to re-re-clarify they will not be doing this. So next time, again, think it through. They were bordering on my favorite argument for when someone doesn't have an argument. You took it out of context! 
context. <laughs> well, the other difference, too, with hotel rooms and Uber drivers, what do you have? A finite amount of something. The reason the price goes up demand. is because su- the, the supply can't meet the demand or there is an increased demand for a, for a finite supply. If you had, there's, oh, we only have six Baconators today. That's it. <laughs> That's it. The whole day, we have six Baconators. This is what they cost. Dan, don't give them ideas. Market price for Baconators. Right? But you, you can make as many as you want. Done. Think it through. Think it through. <laughs> that is High Noon. We do it every day around this time. Here on the score to make your day better. What are we doing next? Lance Brozdowski, who knows all about this entire Cubs roster, is going to give us his thoughts into how it all looks. Terrific. It's next on the score. The score! This hour is brought to you by Menards. Save big money at Menards. Feels amazing. It feels amazing. I was, you know, craving baseball. I was, I was fiending for it, you know, like um, just, you know, doing what I, what I could in the offseason, you know, enjoying all my family time, um, doing everything I could physically and mentally to, to stay ready for when the moment came. And, um, you know, this was my first official day today. And, um, you know, it just feels, it feels really good and um, beyond excited to get going. Cody Bellinger, he's back. And now it slots some other people in some other places at positions and in the batting order and on the roster. And here to talk about all things Chicago Cubs is Lance Brozdowski. He is on Twitter at Lance Braz, the player development analyst for Marquee Sports Network with us on the Circa Sports Illinois hotline. Download the Circa Sports app today, twitch.tv slash Chicago 670 The Score. Lance, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, guys. So what is the belly re-signing do first and foremost in your eyes what are the most immediate effects on the cubs i think the most immediate effect is is probably decreasing the probability a guy like Pete armstrong breaks camp with the team maybe that's not everyone's uh, immediate response to thinking about it but i do feel like pete was pretty much slotted in as the opening day ish center fielder of some sort or at least having maybe a slightly bigger role from the jump of the season and i think by adding bellinger you kind of mitigate the pressure you have to put on him to perform which is maybe what they want to do you know he's had a lot of discussions with Dustin Kelly this offseason it sounds in terms of reworking his swing understanding the top of the zone specifically where if you watched any of the Brewers games late in the year he kind of got beat up to some extent but I mean you know there's old there's a variety of sayings this is like how many at-bats and plate appearances a guy needs before you actually understand who they are as a hitter at the major league level and I'll just say Pete is so far away from that that we're really starting to still uncover who he is as a hitter. We know who he is as a defender. And I wouldn't be surprised if some more polishing time at AAA um, really kind of helps him make the leap and become at least a league average hitter. Yeah, because if, if they can, because of what he can do defensively, that that's something too. But I, but I am wondering about his development as a defensive player. He made some spectacular plays last year when given an opportunity. He also made some mistakes on some routine plays. So how did the... How do the Cubs go about saying, man, we know you can do all the crazy stuff. Want you to be more consistent with the easier stuff. Yeah, it's funny. I I talked to, I had an interview with Pete last year. I want to say it was maybe July or August, one of those two months. And 
I was actually kind of surprised. We were talking defense, and he said that he didn't think he was playing his best defensively. And I, I thought that was a bit surprising because I think no matter any – he's one of the few things where when you are watching a game, whether it be live or on television, it's very easy to see that he's exceptionally good at one thing, which is defense. I think a lot of the times it's sometimes difficult for people to realize – you know, you watch a game, you watch four at-bats of a guy, and, and someone's like, he has elite bat speed. It's like, well, maybe he goes one for four or one for three with a walk, swings the bat two times, and you come out of it, and you're like, I'm not entirely sure if I understand what, like, elite bat speed looks like in a player. But I think anyone who watches Pete, in, in any sense, whether it be a crazy play or a more routine play, you immediately realize how good he is as a defender. So to me, it was it took me aback when he said he was that honest with himself to say – I didn't think I was playing my best defensively last year. And, you know, I don't think he really ever got – he never really gave me an answer as to, like, what was different. I wonder if it was just a mindset thing with him. You know, maybe there was just pressure of knowing at some point he was going to be called up and have to perform. In the mental side, I think, of baseball is something that can seep into performance, and we really don't talk about it. It's much easier to talk about the direct, tangible things we see on the field at times. It's, it's harder to be like, you know, maybe, he, maybe he's just thinking too much, you know? Like, he's been a guy that's so reactionary. Um, that perhaps he was just thinking too much. So in terms of how you get a guy to be more consistent with routine plays, I I, I don't necessarily know. I don't think him taking 10% more reps in spring training in center field is really going to get him there. Like he is an elite defender. I wonder whether it's just kind of stitching it all together, understanding that, you know, maybe there's a little more pressure off me this year. I already saw major league time. I don't need to go up and prove to Ross and others that, I am the player and you need to play me every day. Now I have counsel who maybe treats younger players a little bit differently. So I wonder if it's just kind of just understanding his place on the roster and understanding that they're committed to him long-term and taking a little bit of that pressure off that, you know, I need to perform right now. We fixate on the 26 on breaking camp with the team heading North (laughs) and all that. But the truth is that a lot really good teams are going to have some roster churn. And when I hear Jed talk, I hear about pride in the 40-man roster and and having major league-ready talent or at least major league complementary talent available. Based on what you know about where the options are and where the flexibility is, how much churn should we expect? Because we, we have this feeling that good teams aren't necessarily reliant on the minors, where that... That idea is changing. That paradigm is shifting a little bit. Is this going to be a little bit more dynamic use of the roster? It's a it's a great question. I think one of the things that I always think about, and this is maybe a little bit more of like executive talk, so to speak, and thinking in this direction, but I always, I don't want to say I'm skeptical, but I'm always very curious to watch when you have a GM or a high-level baseball executive move to an organization with a higher payroll, assumed payroll, from an organization where development and I I guess you could call it budget crunching is a thing. And that's the reality is that's where Carter Hawkins came from. The Guardians are a team that loads up on 40-man guys, really good at developing velo in the minors, and then they trade away players when they get too expensive. They've done that for, I don't want to say the entirety of their history, but probably the entire tenure Carter Hawkins was there. Now he comes to the Cubs where the payroll is $150 million higher or whatever. And I, I always wonder like how you kind of change who you are 
as like a roster builder, given those implications, given the implication that you now can spend more money. I think of the same situation in David Stearns going from Milwaukee to the Mets. I'm very curious to see how he builds out that team, that balance between you have young guys that you can have under team control and pay very little money relative to the performance that they could have and the impact, impact excuse me, they could have on the field. So that is something I think about a lot. It's like, how do you balance that, right? You add players through free agency that are higher dollar, and then you have other players who are coming up through the minors. Like, Owen Casey is a great example. You go out and trade for Michael Bush. I think, personally, Owen Casey is a first baseman long-term. So you go out and trade for Michael Bush, really good player, that he comes from an organization that didn't have a spot for him. Mm-hmm. And he's a consensus top 50 prospect who absolutely mashed the AAA. Good teams that are good at developing talent in the minor leagues run into these crunch situations. And a lot of the time, if you're trying to compete as the Dodgers are, and as some of these other teams are, you kind of just have guys that you don't know what to do with. And I think that we're going to, if things go well for the Cubs, that is will be the conversations we're having in the next couple of years, is like the wondering of like, this guy's good, we just have nowhere to play him. Like Nelson Velasquez is a great example. Like he's going to probably get 150 games in center field, maybe with the Royals this year, and he's got an above average barrel rate. It's like, I almost wonder, like, he he would look pretty good on this team right now. You know what I mean? But there's nowhere to play him. Like, and you have other guys in the minors, like Casey, who will probably start as an outfield before moving to first base, I think, personally. And then Kevin O'Connor is another guy who's definitely going to stay in the outfield. And these guys are coming through. And it's like you you run into these situations where a guy, the timing of a, having a really good talent in your team just doesn't really work. So I, I'm not expecting a ton of churn on the main cornerstone pieces of the roster i would say this year but i'm happy to be proven wrong and i do think that when you have a matt shaw or an casey or someone else pop in the minors you have to almost find a spot for them you know and i think obviously the big thing right now is third base um does morell stay there throughout the entirety of the season do we see him play 130 games as what, the at least what do you think defender you know what do you think if what do that? i think I think at the end of the uh, – do I go hot take here? I don't know. How hot are we feeling? However you feel. I think, <laughs> I think by September, Matt Shaw will probably play, be playing some third base for the Chicago Cubs. That's not really an indictment on Christopher Morrell. I think it's more what is the best team if this team is in contention. And I think adding Matt Shaw to this lineup, if he performs as he did in the minor leagues, is – is exactly what you – that's how you make your team even better with a late-season call-up, Right. Especially, a guy, again, if there's no injuries, et cetera, we'll assume no injuries. But I really think a guy like Matt Shaw adding that bat to the lineup and not putting the pressure on him to be a top six hitter would be really dynamic late in the year as like a boost to the offense. So that's what I'll say. Again, not an indictment of Morrell. I think he'll actually play a reasonable third base. It might just be a matter of what is the best team that we could put on the field from an offensive and defensive standpoint. And perhaps that's kind of PCA center, shot third, Morrell, DHing maybe mixed in with bush like there's again you see already as i go through this calculus you're you're squeezing out a player or two so i i'm i'm fascinated to kind of see what they do with a guy like matt shaw what do you think morell needs to work on to solidify playing okay enough third base it's really just a consistency thing right like we saw throws last year that were kind of all over the map and that's another thing that's tough because it's it's a rep it's not even like a reps thing like I, again i'm not sure if taking 10 to 20% more reps at third base really makes you that dramatically better of a defender. Maybe it's more changing something fundamentally, which I haven't really had a chance to talk to him or any of the defensive coaches to understand if they're really trying to change something in particular. I mean, he's made some nice plays in spring going to his left. I think the hole made a nice play. Like his range is good. He's a freakishly athletic guy. So I I'm, I'm not concerned about that. I'm more concerned about these blips that are like, you know, 
man on third, two outs, chopper to him. He runs in and then he throws the ball away. The run scores. It's like that, I think, is going to stand out. Defensive stuff is very hard to value, I think, from the analytics standpoint, because you see an instance like that and you go, okay, that had an immediate impact on run scoring. Whereas, like, the accumulation of him making other smaller plays is like, that's really valuable. So it's like, how many maybe of those blip kind of throwaway inconsistency of arm? situations we have relative to how many plays he makes consistently that's kind of your balance that's what i think the calculus has to be looking two months into the season seeing how he is from a defensive standpoint tell me if i made a good bet or a bad bet just (laughs) in the last hour because i was considering the difference between the first half and the second half i bet lawrence that jameson tyone would have a Fangraphs wins above replacement number of two or higher this year. Okay, that's an interesting bet. I haven't really looked too much. Like, Tyon's funny. Like, he was the big talk of last offseason, and I can't say I, like, have really thought about him too much in the offseason because we're so – I'm fascinated to see what Imanaga looks like on Saturday, you know, and, and the rest of his spring starts and see if he can really kind of solidify as, like, a three or a four or where – kind of the range of outcomes is there. I think he has the biggest range of outcomes in the rotation. I I think that's a good bet. Um, I, again, health is always really hard to factor in with starting mm-hmm. pitching. Uh, Tyone's been a guy that's been, I think, 140 plus for each of the last three seasons. And I think in one of one of the, one or two of those years, he was probably above two war from the fan crap, fan graphs perspective. So I think I like that bet. I think the okay. one thing in understanding how fan graphs was calculated is like, it really values strikeouts it's basically looking at strikeouts, walks, and homers and distilling that into like an expected or run metric, which is what we know as FIP. And then FIP becomes the driver of Fangraph's war. So Tyone doesn't strike out a ton of guys. So he's going to have to limit home runs and limit walks in order for you to kind of hit that bet through 160 innings. It would be my analysis of it. And I think okay. he will. I think that he's a guy who suppresses home run contact quality pretty well with his cutter. Um, and he's always been a good control guy. So that blip he had at the beginning of last year, if that just evens out in his more league average performance, he should, you should get right, right at two to 2.5 war. I would say. All right. Well, then you're going to owe me a dollar too, when it doesn't happen. Um, all right. <laughs> it was only a dollar. Yeah. We, 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 we do the, the, the trading places, Mortimer bet. That's what we do. We bet Got a it. dollar, okay. a crisp dollar. What's, what's fair to expect from Michael Bush. I think it's fair to expect above the average offensive performance from him. You know, like you can think of like kind of a nerdy stat, like a way to run created plus, like what is your contribution to offensive production scale to 100 such that something that's say 15, 115 is 15% above the league average. I think you have to expect him to be like a 115 to 125 player. You know, he's really good OBP. It's good power. He's not going to strike out a lot. Um, I think there's probably 20 homer pop in there. We'll see if that grows over time. The calling card in him has always been that he can hit, and he runs in the same situation I was talking about with PCA earlier. Is we need a bigger sample of these guys at the major league level to understand who they are as offensive talents. Um, and he just ran into a poor situation where they couldn't really find a defensive fit. You know, the Dodgers couldn't really give him the time to kind of even out and figure out who he was as a hitter. They're crunched, so they trade him for Jackson Ferris, who's a really an arm that I really like, but doesn't need to be on the forty man roster, and they can wait another two and a half, three years before they have to do that in LA. So. Yeah, I think I think it's a, I think it's totally fine to be bullish on his offense. I think the question more so, you know, talking to some Dodger people about him, he wasn't really ever a good defender, and I don't think that I think that maybe was perhaps the main problem is the Dodgers understanding that at some point maybe some of their guys age out to that DH position or first base position, and I just had struggled to see how a guy like Bush, and I think they struggled to see how a guy like Bush would eventually fit into that situation. So we'll see. Like de- defensive. 
value changes depending on where you are in the diamond, right? Up the middle is really important. As you get to the corners, it becomes less important. First base defense, we saw, you know, Anthony Rizzo in the past was really valuable, but for the most part, it doesn't have a massive impact on the game relative to the other positions. Other people might tell you otherwise. I'm just kind of communicating what the numbers say there. So I think even if he's like a below average league defender, defender at first base, it's okay. But I, I think it's totally fine to be a little bullish on the offensive production. It's going to be driven by a really good approach at the plate and, and good batted ball quality metrics. So I'm I'm totally fine saying he's like a 20% above average hitter. You said that you were looking forward to watching Imanaga. What, what exactly are you trying to find out in this start fastball location um when you look at back at wbc and even some of his mpb data the mpb is a very different way of approaching pitching they really like pitching down in the zone he's got what you'd call like a high carry fastball it's it's got that vertical movement that ride that resistance to gravity that works really well up in the zone and if you look at any of his heat maps he pitched down a lot he, he would go for these like strikes down strikes away strikes inside and he'd kind of elevate at times I want him elevating early in count. I want the ability for that vertical movement to play best at the top of the zone. Now, there's a point at which you can get so advanced as a pitcher that you start then pitch, throwing pitches below the zone that then rise into the zone for called strikes. You know, you think of that idea of like, okay, top of the zone, carry fastball. It's going to stay above well, the Well, it like, doesn't really rise. Exactly. I mean, you're not With throwing a wiffle gravity. ball. Yeah. Exactly. It drops less right. than you would expect. Maybe that's the way to put yes. it, right? drops less than you would expect. So if you apply that same logic to the bottom of the strike zone, right, you could maybe as a hitter see a ball visually coming in below your knees and then it kicks up ever so slightly. It drops less than you would expect and ends up in the zone. This is something that Walker Buehler talked about a lot, the Dodgers, in terms of he has a carry fastball put down in the zone. So I, I like that idea of eventually going to that point, but I think he's a guy that they really need to get up in the zone and have everything work off that. So I'm watching, you know, whoever's catching him, where they set up, how consistently is he able to kind of make that adjustment to elevate the fastball? Lance, man, you, you do a great job. And I, I told Thank you, I told Dan earlier, like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to stand it. Like you and Kamka at the same place. Like this is going to be, <laughs> you talk about it's an embarrassment of riches. Yeah, yeah. We got to be super I'll, smart by the end of the baseball season. I, I'll give you a nugget there. I ran into Chris the other day and introduced myself. First time meeting him. Of course I followed him on Twitter, which is always funny when you're like, Oh, I, I followed you on Twitter. I didn't even know, but um, but yeah, I ran into him and, you know, the first thing I asked him was what data sources do you use for baseball analysis, which I think encapsulates who I am as a person, who Chris is as a person. We had a really good conversation for like two minutes on, on that topic, saying what resources we use. So You're talking about Savant and Codify and, and, uh, all these other things. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I was just curious what he used. Well, so it, was, it was a fun combo. My standard for broadcasting, particularly baseball broadcasting, is a fairly low one where I say, especially at the national level, just don't make people dumber. I think yeah, it is, like it is, it's industry, it should be industry standard to do the, do it the way you do it, where you actively make us smarter. So I appreciate that a lot. I, I, think, I think that's awesome. Thanks, sir. We'll talk to you soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. That is Lance Brozdowski. I'm a big fan of his. Yeah, you'll you'll hear him as much as we can have him on in baseball yeah, season. Yeah, as, as much as he would like to be on this stupid radio show. He knows stuff and explains stuff in a way that's easily understandable. That's right. Let's talk quarterbacking next. We have more social facilitation when it comes to saying things that are outside of the mainstream popular sentiment when it yep. comes to quarterbacks. Specifically the one at the top of the draft. You're listening to Bernstein and Holmes, middays 10 to 2 on 670 The Score. A dynamic group, all different 
flavors in this draft. Um, there's guys that you know have all the talent and tools in the world, um, and it's up to us as a scouting staff to kind of see do they have enough and what's what, what's the internal part, what's the the drive that they have, the leadership, because um, that that's really really important when you look at the history of, of quarterbacks. So um, it's a good group. So that's again, it makes a very unique situation. That's Bears general manager Ryan Poles on NFL Network with Stacey Dales talking about quarterbacks, as we are going to do in this segment. But first, a quick reminder, the charity poker championship that benefits Camp One Step and helps kids with cancer and leukemia experience the simple joys of childhood is Thursday, April 18th. And we are going to be getting together and playing Texas Hold'em to send the winner of this tournament to the World Series of Poker main event in Las Vegas. So if you're going to do this, I urge you to visit CampOneStep.org between now and midnight. And the reason is because we've had a special through February event that has or promotion that has been running, and that is a free add-on of 5,000 in chips for the first 100 people to register for the event. And we have, I think there's 15 left. That's all. Just 15 that are expected to go between now and midnight. So if, you, if you're if you planning to play in the tournament, like, yeah, well, I always get around to signing up. Sign up now. Get registered now because that way you get a free 5,000 chip add-on that makes a big difference. So, again, it's Camp One Step. Dot org camponestep.org. Do this. I can't wait to see everybody on Thursday, April 18th at Galleria Marchetti. That man is going to be a celebrity you bounty. You better get those extra 5,000 chips because I'm taking them. <laughs> Shane's going to be a bounty. Parkins is going to be a bounty. Spiegel's going to be a bounty. And there's all sorts of others that are going to be around having fun. There's spectator tickets available if you just want to come eat and drink. The food, by the way, last year. Yeah, it was awesome, wasn't it? It was so good. Because we've, le- we've learned how to play the hits. We know what people want, and we give it to them and make sure there's plenty of it. After, so. I, after I got knocked out, I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to sit out here on the patio because we had that ridiculously nice night, too. Mm-hmm. I'm, like, I'm going to sit out here on the patio, make myself a taco or two, enjoy it. Did you go to the S'mores bar? No. Oh, late in the night when we had, they, we set out the giant marshmallows and the Hershey bars, graham crackers, oh. and, and, and the sticks that we, because, you know, there's that gas fire out there. Yes. So every, you could make, you would make your own s'mores, do your own all marshmallows. Right. If they have that again this make year, the marshmallows smell like gas. Do they no, turn no, out no, all no. right? No, no, no. It's just a flame. Okay. No, no, no. You can, you can, you can make a s'more out of anything. This oh, so good. So good. Uh, so, yeah, get on that. Don't miss out on one of these. There's just a handful of seats. So even after that, you're like, oh, I forgot to do it. Because you poker players are just can be so lazy when it comes to signing up for stuff. And last minute, here's a well, reason. I want to be the first person that signs up. I want to see who's going to be there. Yeah, here's a reason not to be. So Well, camp- I'm going to be there. I'm going to take your chips. CampOneStep.org. Come be a part of it. It's fun. It's for a great cause. You might go to Vegas and win a ton of money. So you heard polls talking about quarterbacks. Let's hear somebody else talking about quarterbacks because 
it's that time of year where people are going to stake out their their territory, say everybody thinks this, popular wisdom says this, but I, Dan Orlovsky of ESPN, think otherwise. I thought that Caleb Williams was a lock at number one because I thought Drake May would be the guy. I was wrong in that. Jaden Daniels should be the guy. If I were the Chicago Bears right now, I would take Jaden Daniels out of LSU. That is not a knock on Caleb Williams. That is a plus and Jaden Daniels. I think, number one, when you watch all these guys play, the best thrower, the best guy against man coverage, ball placement-wise, is Jaden Daniels. Number two, when we're talking about explosive play, like guys who have to throw the ball downfield, what does it look like? Jaden Daniels throws the ball best downfield. And then number three, who's got the best pocket piece? When I say piece, it's P-E-A-C-E. All these guys are athletic. It's no longer like this plus. Every one of these guys has that attribute. The patience and the peace within the pocket, he's the best at. Um, Candidly, I think when it comes to what guy had the best game, none of these guys' games compare to Jaden Daniels against Florida. If you just watch that player versus the University of Florida, you would go, that's the best player in college football, and he's going to be the guy that transfers the best into the NFL. Caleb Williams is fantastic. I think Jaden Daniels is better. Okay, so this... I, I like Dan a lot. I think that he's usually very measured in his conversations about quarterbacks. But I just want to get back to something. First of all, one slight correction. Drake May is not athletic. That is one of the things that people have been saying about him on the record and off. Um, t- two, I thought the whole thing was Caleb is so special. That's why you feel emboldened to move on from fields. That was the whole point, was you would otherwise not, but you cannot miss this opportunity. This specific guy. And you know, I, I like Dan, like Daniels better than Williams. But I'm telling you, let them make that pick. See what happens. If you're at number one, you can't not take Caleb Williams. You got to move off the pick if you're not taking him. And, and, and here's, here's the thing about that. As I joke about that, I do want the business, why I asked Weederer about this. I want the Bears to make sure that they do all of their homework and that they don't just fall in love and just say, screw it, like this is the guy that we're, and, and then miss the opportunity. I just. Whenever we've had this conversation, the conversation was, well, look, the rest of these guys in the draft are fine. They're probably all going to be good pros. But this guy is so special that you have to take him. We're getting mission drift is what we're getting. It's classic mission drift. Don't lose sight of what the, the mission was going in. Going even, like, as far as a calendar year ago, whatever you have to do to get this guy. But, but okay, but that, that sh- I'm, I know I'm contradicting myself because that should be looked at as a positive. I'm not saying it isn't. That, that okay. The cleanest prospect, Andrew Luck, Carson Palmer, John Elway. Patrick Mahomes. This guy, you said that, I didn't. I never said it. <laughs> 
other people have. And now, including the man himself, and, Caleb. And now it's like you've done all this, all the machinations, all the calculations, all of the losing on purpose, and all of the fleecing your opponents to to be here. And now you're telling me, wait, what? That was all that wasn't true? Or he got worse? Really? I'm just a little confused at what's happening. I thought all the stuff that's happening was happening because this prospect was so above and beyond. Like, that's the funny part to me. He's not only supposed to be above and beyond his peers. He's supposed to be above and beyond current quarterbacks in the NFL. And had better be if you're in your contending window and you're ready to hand him the keys to your team opening game this year if i'm putting some of the stuff together like some of the analysis which is what we're talking about here all the time i agree with what merrill hodge was saying about the amount of time that caleb williams had to throw the ball and what does he look like with a dirty pocket i agree with orlovsky I think Jaden Daniels throws the ball better. But where where I and I I'm a Jaden Daniels guy. Like I re, I've liked Jaden Daniels since he came out of high school. The thing about it is Caleb makes better decisions when he does run than Jaden Daniels does. Because of how like Jaden Daniels does the thing that I hate the most when people run he will try to jump over someone mm. in the mm. middle of the field. And he got plastered doing that twice last season. Never do that if you're a quarterback. Ever. Ever. You're not supposed to do that. Unless you're Cam Newton. Unless you're at the goal line. You you want to try and make a play at the goal line? I'm here for it. You're, you're the 40? What are you doing? Get out. Especially when you're built like he's built. Where it feels like if he gets hit, he's going to disintegrate into a pile of dust. So I do think that there, this, what I wanted, Dan, and I, and I guess we're here now. I wanted all of this before. I wanted the, well, Drake May really throws the ball well. Well, Jaden Daniels is also dual threat, and he happens to be six five and a half. Before we made all the binary presumptions, yes. Why wasn't this done before? Where were all these people? I was out here in the wilderness. Where were they at? They started studying more. But that's he was playing every week, and it was like, well, don't watch this bad game of Caleb Williams. Well, why not? Well, he won the Heisman the year before. I get that. But it wasn't this even in the is, conversation this year. This is this year, though. Well, go, is- go look at his 2022 tape. I have. And it's unbelievable. Now talk to me about 2023. A lot of the tape in 2023 is also unbelievable. I agree. There's some stuff on there that you go, oh, my God, how did he do that? Even the stuff that's not like the the freakish breaking the pocket, making incredible throws stuff is still there's a lot of really good in there, too. Why? When we were talking about this. Why was it 
there's Caleb, and then there's everyone else. Well, for what I now and now it's there's Caleb, but maybe I think can I I think that we've seen a seen and heard a few people come out and say, well, it's a little closer. Most of the people that I see are still it's Caleb, tear break. Drake May, Jaden Daniels, tear break. And, why, and I think now it's Jaden Daniels, Drake May. Yes, I in reverse that order because I'm with you on. I think I would take Jaden Daniels over Drake. And May. then there are the people that are like, but watch that JJ McCarthy. I did watch him. He played with ten pros. Well, and Jaden Daniels' wide receivers are NFL, and he had a ton lead. of time to throw. Yeah. And doesn't throw over the middle. I I would just. I would just like for this – I'd like for this to never be a problem for the Bears again, which is asking a lot. But if it is, I would like for people to, you know, bring up these very valid criticisms before so that people didn't, like, they got to have Caleb or anything else. This is the draft that changes a franchise. Whatever they do, if they can, if they can secure the first pick in this draft, this is it. Well – now it's not to take that guy? Where where were all these people? Were they locked in a cave? Were we not listening to them? Was Dan Orlovsky always standing on the uh, on the the tallest mountain shouting this? No. The way he started it was I thought Caleb Williams was the no doubt number one. Right. What changed your mind? Because he said he look, said that Jaden Daniels is a better passer. Look, look, it probably the truth is that it's probably Caleb is more special than the rest of these guys. And and we'll find our way back around to it over the next five weeks. I just don't understand how it's so predictable. This is where I get mad at the whole concept of the generational talent thing. It's so predictable that, oh, so you guys are just going to ignore the Heisman Trophy winner that's got NFL measurables. And it's like he's now been discovered. Have you guys seen this Jaden Daniels guy? Apparently, he won the Heisman Trophy last year. It's weird that this didn't happen more than Trevor Lawrence was coming out. There's, there, there wasn't as much talk as there should have been about Justin Fields in that draft. It I was, oh, some, Trevor Lawrence is no doubt number one. I have some theories about that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Who are you going to take number two? Well, I saw this guy, and he did this thing where he was throwing routes on air, and he reversed out. I saw Justin Fields do that in a game. I saw Justin Fields eviscerate the number one team in the country by himself with broken ribs. Yes, that's the game that I'm talking about. I saw other quarterbacks in that draft do that particular move in games, but no, no, no. It was in a workout. He's sneaky athletic. So he's white. Exactly. Ah, yes. You've cracked the code. Aha! (laughs) Got you. I know what you're describing. In your sneaky athleticism, and I bet he wears black or white <laughs> shoes that make him look faster or slower. And he plays for the Bulls now. He's owner of Bidim. 
watch. We still haven't heard from him. We could. <laughs> Instead of me going off of why, why draft analysts don't talk about these things, you know, while they're watching college football. And they say, whoa, 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 I just figured something out. Everybody thinks this. I'm now the guy who thinks this. Why didn't you think it before? I don't know. I didn't know who Jaden Daniels was. I just didn't. You mean to tell me that there's a six foot five quarterback in North Carolina that's got a rocket for an arm? Really? I'm going to have to investigate. He was playing the whole time. The games were happening. Televised some of them even. Almost all of them on your network. Yep. Okay. And just so we're clear, my frustration is not with Caleb. My frustration is these people, you people, have told me (laughs) for a year and a half that dude is the dude. And now he's not the dude? It's going to be hilarious. This is going to be hilarious when they take Drake, man, after all this. R.I.P. Parkins is mentioned. <laughs> or, or, or if they take Caleb Williams and he sucks. Man. Like, these, these are the things, with my experience with the Bears, I'm just waiting for one of those outcomes. They got it. They got well, it. They got, they got Caleb Williams. any good? No, he's terrible. Oh, oh well, that, that's another thing. That's another part of this. Oh, well, you're taking Caleb Williams because he's, he's, a, he's a freak and he's, your team is ready to compete right now. And are we read Weederer today, and it's like, well, he's going to have some some bumps as a wait a wait a damn minute. I was told that I don't have to worry about that. What the hell, man? <laughs> Just wait. It's going to get sillier. With every day that passes, that's the only thing I can predict for sure. The the Bears have go- to make this move because they're so close defensively that you don't want it to be ruined with inconsistent play at quarterback. Uh, rookies are almost always inconsistent. Not this not one. this one. Which one? Well, he's not the best passer in the draft, though. Four weeks later, he might have some problems adjusting to the NFL. Really? <laughs> you don't say. And what tells you that? Um, A mountain of history tells us that that's the case but back but back in december i was told that there wasn't going to be a problem that this was the right move and damn it make it so make it pick the best quarterback it doesn't matter what anyone says what (laughs) you know i'm right you know that I'm right. And just you. Here's the thing, though. I also know it's going to get sillier. This is this is just the beginning of this. This is just the beginning of because it's this always happens. This is it's very similar to my rule with deciding who you think is going to win the Super Bowl the moment you know who the competitors are, because in the two weeks that intervene, things get really silly. Yes, that's what's happening now, Dan. People it, even more so. People were yelling at me for asking these questions. And then now everyone's asking these questions and it's totally fine. Yell at them. I think we're out of time to do the larger topic. Damn it. So 
let's hear from uh, owner Al Pabitium. <laughs> Let's I, do that yes, yeah, so we missed it. He had the game last night. He had his debut, and I think there should be more Chicago Bulls getting some of these opportunities because you know development. That's important. Do that next in the score. You're listening to Bernstein and Holmes middays ten to two on Sports Radio six seventy the score. DeRozan to go in a post up to Booch on the smaller D end. Cross court, Patine, three ball, got it! Unroll up, Patine, this is your night, my man. It's going to be, because that's why he's here. Let him play with this skill set, and he will make shots. Absolutely. Honor out, Patine. I've been wanting to anagram it for a while, but I haven't. I mean, maybe during a break because it, it, it just seems as so many Bitcoin. as so many oh. Turkish names do seems ripe for anagramming to find out where the truth lies. But I got I got to shout out our friend Sinem. Yes, I wonder if she knows knows owner Alp. If, if there's a Turkish player on the Bulls, I don't know if she knows that. Well, there have been before. There, I mean, the great Omer Ashik was here. I'm going to text her right now. My guy Omer. My Go Omer t-shirt, let's not forget. And there was another one, too. Let's find the history of, of Turkish players on the Bulls. I don't know if it's quite like Cubans on the White Sox, but... They they like to scout Turkey? So, well, the thing is that the actual Turkish league, what, what a lot of pro and NBA scouts like about it, is the guys who play EuroLeague and the guys who play there play a rugged brand of basketball. They don't lack for toughness. And that's why generally you can have the Turkish players are, are are tougher and stronger than some guys in some of the other independent European leagues. And that's even when they get into more EuroLeague wider spread stuff that the culture of and I t- I've always told you this the, the coolest thing if you're flying into Istanbul Constantinople. It's Istanbul. It's Constantinople. Da, 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 da. So shut up, studs. What you see the, the, in the '90s, that song rock. The, the minarets, the onion domes, and everything. And, and we flew in on a gorgeous day over over the the Bosphorus, and just seeing the architecture is stunning. That and the basketball courts. Rich people problems everywhere. The basketball courts, just like wow, and, and and tucked into little areas of different sizes and stuff. There's just, and it's it's noticeable. In just coming into this densely populated city, what, what what basketball means there, and so I mentioned that because of the organizations win championships podcast, Jason has been our correspondent in charge of the Windy City Bulls. He's actually over spring break. He's covering a game. He's going to go check out the uh, the Bucknell kid that's there, Andrew Funk. He's going to go talk to him. But he has bring in the noise, bring in <laughs> the funk. Having talked to Adama Sanogo and people forget Derek Favors has been out there, so he's seen a lot of owner out Bitim and said defensively he's not quite there yet. He's going to have to figure out some things defensively. Well, yeah, but he obviously can hit open jumpers. And what another uh, NBA source told me was that he's got to get meaner. You got to get mean. He does that. He's got to get angry. He's a super nice, clean cut kid who, while physically, you know, well-built strong, he just, that he doesn't necessarily have an edge to his game. And they're trying to bring that out of him. Can he dodge a wrench? He spoke last night after the game, after his 
breakthrough NBA performance, and here's what he had to say. I got to tell you something. You came in, you gave this team a huge lift. You played, what, 27 minutes, hit a couple of threes. So take me through this game. What what are your emotions right now? I mean, uh, I can't describe how happy I am right now. Um, I mean, since I came here, like, I was uh, trying to be ready if the chance is come. And I was ready, and when the chance came, <laughs> oh, well, he's getting I, doused a shower from Andre Drummond. <laughs> the thing is, I always dream a moment like this. I'm very happy to because I have a really great teammates. They help me. I mean, I'm very happy. I'm very happy. Thank you so you, much. You you played outstanding, and we we know you can shoot the three. You you did a fantastic job there. But defensively tonight, you were huge. Defensively, your energy on the floor really helped the team turn things around and get the stops you needed. How have you stayed prepared for this moment? Um, actually, I mean, my teammates and my coaches helped a lot because like, even when I was not playing, uh, they were teaching me and talking me about like our defensive system because it's very different from the European system. And then I was always trying to learn them, watch them. We were texting each other. Even I was with the G League team. I was watching Bulls game and I was um, watching the details. And I tried my best to do it, but I know I still need to do much better. And I promise I will be much better. Now, you were you were fantastic. You were though. fantastic. So this moment must mean so much to you. It is. Now, it's like my dad is here. Oh, uh, my my mom is most probably watching. Like really, it's 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 a blessing to be here and to get the win and be on the court. Thank well, you. Outstanding. Listen, on behalf of all of us, congratulations. Thank it's you so a big, much. big, big moment and statement for you. Unreal up, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you so much. That's now, very nice. It's owner Alp, not owner Lap. It's fine. No, it's not. It's his name. It's fine. It's not fine. It's let's not, dance. Let's party. Let's owner Alp. Owner Alp Batim. That was very sweet. Yes. I'm glad that we played that sound. The Bulls have so many individual guys I like. That's the thing. They really do. I I, I love Andre Drummond. As you should. I mean, you paid him $50. Paid him $100. $100. Paid him $100. Yeah. I, I, he's just so much fun. And I know he's probably going to be gone next year. But I, I I don't know what the team is. I don't know where they're going. But they're, they're on nights like that. Just Say, wish, his, say his name again. Owner Alp Batim. My guy. Jason Leisure is going to join us next, so we have no concept of what is going to happen in the next 25 minutes on The Score. The Score! This hour is brought to you by Jewel Osco. Check the For You app for more deals. Let's go now, you fire the first shot! Let's go, man! Jason Leisure. I'm here in the studio at The Score. This is a very, very special honor for you. There's reporter for the Chicago Sun-Times. H-I-T-S, they all stand for try hard. So for the coaches, it's now H is for, hey, don't do that. I is for, I wouldn't do that if I were you. T is for, that's a bad thing to do. And S is for, stop, you're fired. I don't know if I really look at it that way, Jay. Co-host of the Sports Adjacent Podcast. I was driving to my dad's house before recording this. I was like, man, I'm really in the mood for a beer. Just one. And then I remembered, like, all the beer at my dad's house is gross. Jason Leisure with Bernstein and Holmes on the score. 
Let's talk some football and things with Jason Leisure on the Circa Resort and Casino Hotline, CircaLasVegas.com, Sun-Times Bears writer, co-host of the sports-adjacent podcast, twitch.tv slash Chicago 670. The score, what's happening? What's up, Dan? Lawrence in there, I bet, right? Yeah, I'm here. I can't see you guys. You can see me. I can't see you, but I assume you're both there. Yes, we are both here, and we are ready to talk about Indianapolis. Okay. Wow. Uh, I'm going to have to come up with something then. So Indianapolis is not a place you'd ever take your family on vacation. But if you had to come somewhere for a work trip, it's really good. Why is that? It's super convenient. It's the infrastructure. It's set up for this. It's a ton of hotels and a lot of them nice and a lot of restaurants all in one compact area. So it works. I'm Jason Leisure, and I approve this message about Chamber of Commerce. Right. I, I, I don't never think come here as a vacation. Chamber, yeah, I don't think they want to use me or use my like slogan for them of "If you have to be here." Yeah. <laughs> what What have you found to be the most interesting thing that was either said by the Bears or about the Bears? I am hyper focused on what you hear about Caleb Williams here. So if we're covering him as though he's a future bear, then I guess that falls into the category of what you're asking. What have you heard? That, yeah, there are all these things where you're like, "Mm," or, you know, about his personality or about his inner circle or about even some, you know, issues that every college quarterback has where they're not perfect. But, man, every single one of those thoughts ends with, but I'd still take him. Like, the talent. The talent, the talent, the talent, the talent. Well, it's interesting now that we've been saying that once there's a little cover for somebody saying, hold your horses on this kid. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's not go doing this quite yet. Are we really going to do the usual thing where it's, we always joke about it, build somebody up, greatest thing of all time, and then it's like nitpick, 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 death by a thousand cuts to make you question what you once believed. Yeah. You're asking me if we're going to do that? We always do that, don't we? The only the only guy, there. this is a good quarterback class. This is different than last year. And again, like you have to you have to separate talking about guys as prospects Versus talking about then what they became because CJ Stroud, for example, if you talk to people, I don't think there's anybody hardly, including the Texans who saw in CJ Stroud, the prospect, what CJ Stroud, the NFL rookie turned out to be. And you look at, you know, Trevor Lawrence, for example, was a once every few years prospect, a generational quarterback is what he was. Yeah, I I don't like that term because I don't even understand. It's a really bad term, but I just wanted to point out that that was said about a guy four years ago, and now people are saying the same thing about another guy, Because and and words matter to me is basically what I'm saying. Me too. That's why I phrased it the way I did. That's why I like the phrasing of once every few years type prospect because that's more accurate. Caleb Williams would be the best prospect in the last three drafts probably at quarterback, something like that. Probably the best prospect that you would grade since Trevor Lawrence and Trevor Lawrence is probably the best prospect that you would have graded since Andrew Luck, but they don't always end up being that the only guy as a prospect right now who 
stands out in a way of like mm, that guy, the ceiling on that guy, like him at his best, at his at the at the ultimate fulfilling every projection on the good side for him that you could see is Jaden Daniels at LSU. But Jaden Daniels doesn't have that kind of baseline, that floor that Caleb Williams has. And there's just nobody else that's even in the conversation talent wise. Yeah, it, it's it's really interesting how this usually goes. So so it now becomes about what are the things that are the, what do you think the Bears are looking for, and what have they said about trying to figure out if Caleb or any of the quarterbacks is the right guy? Well, I would imagine that they pro- they have. I mean, I know they have a solid book on Justin Fields. They know what he is. They've had three years of NFL tape plus whatever their, you know, Ian Cunningham and Ryan Poles and the coaching staff, whatever their evaluations were of him going into that 2021 draft when they all would have at least scouted him on a cursory level for whatever team they were with. And then I think, so they have whatever their level of contentness or contentedness is with him. And then they say, well, which of, or how many of these guys do we think could be better. And again, you've got the number one pick. So it's pretty cut and dry. Like Caleb Williams is going number one to somebody. He the he's definitively that good as far as prospects are concerned and decisively ahead of everybody else. So I think you kind of pro- I would I would think you go into the offseason saying we're not satisfied with Justin. We see a huge potential and projection with Caleb Williams. Like, let's see if we can be talked out of that. And I would imagine that you can't be talked out of that. I don't think that finding out uh, that he paints his fingernails is going to talk you out of that. So do you believe that we have enough evidence, enough commentary to conclude that Justin Fields is likely to be traded? I assume that's happening any day. And yeah. plans change. Plans change. But I it just like, when have you ever heard somebody, when have you ever heard a GM in any sport talk openly about trading someone and then not do it? This was a different deal last year. This was totally different. If you look at how Ryan Poles talked about it last year, although I will say the fact that we were even discussing it, that it was even out there as even a faint possibility last year, told you something about where they were at on him as far as like planning their future. Um, but doing talking about wanting to do right by him and things like that, you you don't say that unless you're trading him. It's funny because I've thought all along it would happen next week. I have thought all along the goal would be to come here, leave Indianapolis with offers on the table, and get that deal done next week. And that seems to be the timeline that he hinted at Tuesday. And that that's the weird part. I was talking with Dan earlier this week because. You know, some people have, have hit me up. I've gotten a couple of text messages, phone calls, and and DMs about this situation. And one of the things that I keep going back to, to speak to your point, Mr. Leisure, is one person told me when Ryan Poles was hired that the great thing about Poles is that he doesn't lie. And he struggles with that part of the job. And I'm listening to him talk to you guys, and – when he gets to the part where he's like, yeah, I'd like to have some clarity on this, you know, tomorrow. And, yes. and, and, and someone had reached out to me and was like, you know, there could be some clarity on this situation soon. And I was like, I have to take 
now whatever Ryan Poles says, pretty much at face value because he's either reluctant to lie or not good at it and knows that, that he shouldn't lie. So that's kind of where I stand. As someone who's around him more than I am, is that your takeaway? Absolutely it is. And it was funny that you mentioned that moment because they asked, when would you like to have clarity on this? And he, and he just says, tomorrow. And then you kind of look, you know, like for him to laugh or smile. And he's like, no, no, seriously, I want this done like now. Um, I have covered him now for, I think this is like year three. And I have talked to him in so many different settings. Um, not one point, whether it was something on the record, exclusive, off the record, not in any point in the last few years have I felt like I was being misled or lied to or has something turned out to something he has said turned out to have been pretty clearly a smokescreen for something. I think he does try to operate very transparently. And if you think about it, he's pretty young for a GM. And he has maybe not been jaded and scarred the way some other GMs are. And he is maybe not so old school as other GMs are. I think that to his credit and to our benefit, like us talking right now and the greater audience of Bears fans, I think he has a really healthy understanding of how much you can give without hurting yourself. I asked Dan Wiederer this earlier. I'll ask you as well. The Bears are in a bit of a strange situation in these interviews trying to determine a connection with a quarterback prospect. Let, let me just, just – we know who we think it has to be, but regardless of that. Drake May. Of, stop. Of deciding if if the spark is there and how much of a leap of faith there's going to be and are you speaking the same language. And yet – the head coach is almost not as important as the guy running the offense because you've got a, a defensive-minded coach that has never been connected with the developing of a quarterback of any kind, and you just made this hire. You just got Shane Waldron. We don't really know about Shane Waldron. I don't know how much the Bears know other than he was the guy that won the Derby. What's his role, and how does it make it a little weird that he's got this outsized power at a critical juncture for this franchise. I th- I don't know that he's got outsized power. I don't know how involved he is in the actual decision here because he doesn't come in with a lot of a resume. Is whether whatever you think of Frank Wright. How can he not hired, be? How can if, he not if be involved? Hired, if they he's involved, but I don't think he's influencing it in the way that where if they had hired someone with more experience would really be in that he's going to get input, but this is Ryan Poles. This is Ryan Poles deciding this. Ryan Poles' tenure rests on this decision one way or another. If he was to say, hey, we're going to, we think the best path forward is Justin and then a bunch of picks, like whatever he decides on quarterback after inheriting a guy who was picked in number 11 one year before he got there, then having the number one pick last year, now having the number one pick this year, you can't come out of that without a franchise quarterback one way or another. I mean, you can't survive coming out of that without having a without a solution. It, it's really Ryan Poles. I would imagine, I would think that Shane Waldron is kind of being interviewed by Ryan Poles throughout this process of, hey, what did you think about that? And how, you know, how are you going to work with this guy? And I'm sure that they did a lot of that in the 
candidacy interview too. But this is this is Ryan Poles. Ryan Poles and Ian Cunningham. I mean, that's his most trusted guy. Like that's who's making this decision. How do you think you would react to being put in a room with with the Bears brass and them asking you, do you want to play darts or do you want to play putt putt? Versus how these guys react to it. And Dan asked a really good question. What if the prospect says, "I guys, honestly, I, I'd really just like to sit down and talk with you. We, we, we don't need to play putt-putt. Yeah. How do you think that would go over? Well, yeah, what if the test is whether or not you'll take the test? That's what, what I was thinking. for the one guy who says, who says, take your dartboard and go, and like, I'm out of here. Um, I think that I understand the point of what you're asking, but these meetings are so nothing. These meetings are 20 minutes. They, it, it's really a meet and greet. This was the first time, Lawrence, yesterday, that Ryan Poles had ever spoken to Caleb Williams, ever. Like, they're not going to go from having never met to 20 minutes later, okay, cool, not a weirdo. We, we, this is our guy. Like, there, there's going to be time for that. Like, I don't think they go and interview him at USC at his pro day, and when he comes to Alice Hall for the day, I don't think they're going to be, like, you know, shooting pool and throwing darts <laughs> and playing beer pong and things like that. Now I want meetings. them to bring a pool table into the room. <laughs> it's just up against the wall. We'll see how you deal with the, the very Transport sm- it. Yeah, like, how are you going to do that? It'll be great. Like, what I understand of the meeting is that it's – the plan for the meeting going in with Caleb Williams was exactly what you just said. Some light competition, some real get to know you type stuff. You get to know us stuff, some light, light, light football talk, maybe throw up a little bit of uh, USC film, some plays and ask him like, Hey, what were you coached down here? What did you see here? What did you mess up here? Uh, what would you do differently? And And maybe show him like, you know, a couple NFL clips and then, kind of quiz them about that. Like, that's it. It's 20 minutes. Like, this is really just a meet and greet and literally a meet and greet when you're the Bears and you've never spoken to this guy before. But what if I don't want to play putt-putt? What if well, I'm then it's probably, probably not going to be a great meet and greet then, Lawrence, what, for you. What if I'm so serious of a prospect? Like, let's let's get down to business here, gentlemen. Mm-hmm. You, you guys can play darts and golf. I need to talk to somebody about some things. This is my future there. I got some questions for you. How about that? Yeah, I'm going to walk in here and ask you some questions. Why haven't you been able to develop a quarterback in the entire history of your own damn franchise? Yeah, (laughs) why don't you take your putter and put it over there and answer some questions? Why did you feel the need to grow a beard? How about that? Why do you need a stylist all of a sudden? Why do you keep having to fire assistant coaches (laughs) for being perverts? There you go. I'm still waiting. Yeah. We're still, still, still yeah. Yeah. Still I knew waiting that on that answer. At some point. Yep. I knew that would come up at some point in this. Well, until segment. I get an answer, I'm gonna keep asking. You're not getting an Do answer. Do you guys like the beard? Yeah, yeah, I think he looks good. Yeah. Yours or I think he does too. Or his. No, his. Oh yeah. No, no I mean yours and, and, too. I mean, I know this has been a thing on the yeah, podcast. I'm a big proponent of you growing out the beard and just you know, fulfilling the prophecy that you are John B, the white soul singer. I can't grow it up top, so that's usually the move, right? Isn't isn't the move that if if you're done growing hair on the top of yeah. your head, then you grow it on the bottom? You do what you can, and as a as a guy who grows a beard, I mean, I think you know. I think everyone's very beard aware. I think everyone knows if they grow a good beard or not, and it's 
It's okay to say that you do, and it's okay to say that you don't. I got to say, Matt Eberflus, you know, game-recognized game. It's a good beard. I think that's that's fair. Um, yeah. Have fun speaking with the Indianapolis Chamber of Commerce. And, I will. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna hit up some good local uh, local restaurants here, like uh, the Weber Grill and the uh, PF, PF Chang's. Mm-hmm. You got your uh, yard house. You know. Uh, you know. There's an awesome just this local pizza spot here, and you wouldn't think Indiana Indiana would be the place where you'd find amazing uh, pizza. But there's a place right downtown, and it's called Giordano's, and. Uh, <laughs> You know, it's a step up from Sabaros. Have fun, Jason. All right, guys. <laughs> oh, he's a loon, and I love him for it. Oh, that's so good. All right. Since um, we've been talking about it with all of our folks down there, and we can kind of reset and specifically talk about one team that it feels like everything is pointing towards Justin Fields going to, including something that their new head coach had to say. We'll discuss that next here on The Score. Bernstein and Holmes, middays 10 to 2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. If you decide to draft a quarterback, what is your motivation to trade Justin before free agency starts, knowing that there might be a premium on yeah, again, it just depends on what opportunities pop up. Um, I will say this. Um, I think you guys know me uh, well enough now. I do, if we go down that road, um, I want to do right by Justin as well. Uh, no one wants to live in gray. Um, I know that's uncomfortable. I wouldn't want to be in that situation either. So uh, we'll gather the information. We'll move um, as quickly as possible. We're not going to be in a rush um, and see what presents itself and what's best for the organization. Try and polls. Yeah, Uno needs to know where he's living. Oh, by the way, I, th- I think I have the definitive anagram of owner out to Tim. Okay. I've been been working on it. Tour in a blimp. That's pretty good. I'm not sure what it means. I'm not sure what the significance is. And I'm, uh, there's obviously more. I could put it into the uh, internet anagram server, which itself anagrams to I rearrangement assistant. But... I'm not going to cheat. I'm going to do it by hand. And what I've done, just, just scribbling here, tour in a blimp. Okay. So take that for what it's worth. Well, they, they have one, right, at the United Center? A blimp? Don't they? Is, don't they have the, the, the giant mini, Benny? The mini blimp that yeah, gives the, out T-shirts and stuff? And drops coupons and everything. Do they still have it? I think so. Flying Benny blimp? I'll find out tomorrow when I go over there. We're yeah. on a blimp tour with Muhammad, my man. You know what? This. That is a tribe hoodie. I didn't even really re- register that. Yeah. How cool is that? Tribe Call Quest. Let's go. Where'd you get that? Don't worry about it. I'm not worried about it. <laughs> Just, I got it from okplayer.com. Okay. That's where I got your Beastie Boys shirt. Oh, 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 yeah. I love that shirt. Yeah. And I got my Beastie Boys hoodie. Maybe I'll wear that tomorrow. We'll yeah. see. I'm going to wear my Andre Drummond I Have Big Balls t-shirt. I was going to wear mine, too. Well, I'm supposed to play ball over at the United Center tomorrow. Right. You and Parkins. Parkins out here buying shoes. I, I meant to buy shoes, too, because I didn't own a pair. I wouldn't have. If I had a pair of jumpers, I would not have bought a new pair. But I don't have, like, a pair to go play in. So I was like, let me go get a pair. And I was like, I wonder how much gym shoes cost these days. 
these kids, ha ha ha. And I got a I got a pair of Giannis's for like eighty five dollars. Nice. I was very pleased, and they're they're good looking shoes. They're, and they're strangely enough, one of them was red and one of them was white. So perfect for tomorrow. What do the Thanassuses look like? <laughs> the Thanassuses, you're not finding those at Dick's Sporting Goods. The Greek bleaks. The, the Thanassuses you're finding at the at the, the Greek bleak at the barber shop. That's when you're in the barbershop and bruh man comes in and he's like, yo, I got these Thanassuses. He's got some Blu-rays and some Thanassuses. You, you buy these, you too can play like Thanassus on a Dekumpo. <laughs> Where can I get them? I really like to have those. The Greek bleak. See, this is going to be the stuff that keeps Giannis from signing with the Bulls. This nonsense right here. They don't want to sign Thanassus. No, us. Talking about them. Yeah, he can hear. He's up in Milwaukee. He Aren't they playing them tomorrow? P1. That's right. They're playing them tomorrow. We're going to talk to our guy, uh, Jim Ozarski, tomorrow. That's right. But, yeah, I'm going to go out there and chuck some shots, and then that'll be it. I'm so good. The lightning is coming. The lightning is coming. I need, you to, you I need you to yell that as you're running down the court. Okay. I can do that running through the tunnel, too. The lightning is coming. The lightning is coming. Um. Anyway. There, I've been struggling all week on how to talk about this because, you know, I hear things. Sometimes people tell me stuff, but I don't like to, one, step on toes of reporters, and two, give people false information. And usually if I can't confirm something, I don't like to... Be like, I'm going to tell you exactly what's getting ready to happen. I will say that over the last 72 hours, my phone has been littered with conversations about Justin Fields from people who know better than I. And there does seem to be some momentum for something happening, like Jason said, like something happening before the Bears leave Indianapolis. I, the opinion has been, for me, has been, be careful what you wish for and the idea of going home. Like, it's not always as cracked up as it's supposed to be. But I think that it's the best business decision for Justin Fields. If I'm looking at some of the other teams, like, to me, him quarterbacking in the NFC South and specifically in Atlanta makes more sense than him quarterbacking in Pittsburgh. Even though I think he would get excellent coaching from both the offensive coordinator and the head coach in Pittsburgh. I, I think that's a it's a hard experience to, to not want. This is a softer landing for somebody who may need to unlearn some things as well as relearn some things. But, but, but see, that to me is, that goes more into the column of go to Pittsburgh because I feel like there with Arthur Smith and Mike Tomlin, he would be able to unlearn. Anyway, for me, it's looking at the conference. If you're Justin Fields, what do you have to deal with on a weekend, week out basis? If you go to Pittsburgh, well, you're going to have to deal with some stuff. Joe Burrow twice a year. Twice a year. You got to deal with that guy. Pat Mahomes at least every four years. And yeah. then in the playoffs. Josh Allen 
CJ like there's a lot in the NFC and Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers coming back. Lamar. Lamar. That's who you've got to deal with over there. In the NFC, who you got to deal with? Jared Goff. Okay. Geno Smith. Maybe, maybe, or maybe not with Geno Smith because there's the the Seattle was out here talking about like, oh, well, you know, you can make us a deal on Geno. Jordan Love. Jordan Love. You got to deal with Jordan Love, but he's he's not in your division. You don't have a dude in your division. You go over there, you have two dudes in your division that you've got to deal with. So, I think that it's a better place for him to go, to go to the NFC South, whether we're talking about Tampa or Atlanta. Atlanta, obviously, because he grew up there. Raheem Morris is now the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons. He said this when talking about the quarterback issues in Atlanta. If we had better quarterback play last year in Atlanta, I might not be standing here. And he's right. If they had better quarterback play there with a lot of interesting young athletic talent on both sides of the ball. <laughs> That's a pretty self-aware comment for Bill uh, Coach. I'm not going to get this job. They wouldn't, this job wouldn't be open if they had good quarterbacks. If, if Desmond Riddler didn't suck. Ritter. <laughs> Ritter, excuse not me. Not the Riddler. I do that Why all the time. Why did you turn him into the Riddler? I thought, it, I thought you were villain. doing a Batman thing. Yeah. You're doing a Batman thing. Just go with it. Oh, the, the Riddler. I'm Batman. <laughs> and Frank Gorshin as the Riddler. But, but, of course, studs wouldn't accept Frank Gorshin's portrayal of the Riddler. Not no. serious enough. No, no, no. I was no. watching God the movie. God forbid they're not taking Batman seriously. I was watching that Batman movie at a bar on Sunday. Oh, this is great. Great studs. Yeah, you sent that to us, and I did. I want you to know, I forgot. I forgot. I, I meant to tell you this the other day. I did see that text, and I chose to ignore it because I, I you knew did. you were trying to trigger me. I wasn't and I was trying having to... a good day. I was like, you know what? No, the koalas text. That's to trigger you. Someone tagged me on Twitter to send me that. Hey man, I, I'm not ever trying to trigger you. I'm just, I just think it's fun. We are, we it's are trying fun. to expose you to the fun that was the 1960s Batman. I've been exposed to it. My mom made me watch it. It's bad. <laughs> no, I watched it not. when I was pretty young. I'm like, this sucks compared to Batman the animated series. Well, what about what about trying it again now because you have a more balanced palette. Yeah, that's that, that's where I was gonna go with this. And it's I'm glad also you said palette. Understanding the actors involved in chewing that scenery and what it meant at the time to see some of those actors show up in these roles, especially the like the one-off villains, the when Victor Buono and Vincent Price and Otto Preminger are, are Cesar Romero well, as Joker. The, the Burgess fact that Meredith is Penguin. You, you, He's not Earth, Mark Hamill. Eartha Kitt as Catwoman. Or Lee Merriweather. But mostly Eartha Kitt. Or Julie Newmar. But mostly Eartha Kitt. All right, my question to you, Studs, is has there ever been a food that you disliked as a kid and then you tried it again as an adult and you're like, you know what, that's not so bad? All kinds of them. Okay. See, Mushrooms see, recently, actually. See, there you go. Maybe. Recently? In the last couple years. Really? And for me, it's absolutely the, the biggest differential between hated as a kid and love as an adult 
For me, eggplant. Oh, hell yeah. Me, it's me too. I would say onion for me. Without it, I hated onions growing up. And then by the time I was general? 20, I what just are you, didn't Lorenzo like Neal? I didn't like onions. Sorry. I didn't like onions growing up. And then by the time I was in my early 20s, I was like, oh, these, these are awesome. Now then he became a big fan of fullbacks. <laughs> he loves fullbacks now. Onions. Because they're just like onions. So your, maybe onions the Batman. Of, I was always a big fan of fullbacks, so it's weird that I didn't like onions sooner. So maybe those old school Batman movie studs will be like your new mushrooms. I think that the next time that studs wants to place a bet, that the bet is you have to watch the full run of the original Batman television series. That's a lot of episodes. I just won't take the bet then. That's a lot of episodes. But they're so fun. I know. And they're ridiculous. And I, when I was a little kid, I took them seriously because I, did, I wasn't aware that this, they, they were playing at his camp. I'm trying to be Batman. That I, 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 I finally... Under- I'm Batman! <laughs> I, I understood later on that I, I rewatched every episode as an adult. Like, I you got can't find any joy in the Batusi? My favorite thing in that movie, I don't know, are there multiple movies of that Batman of that era of whatever, the 60s or whatever? Yeah, there's, no, were, there's one movie. There's one movie. Okay, good. So my favorite thing, sorry, spoiler alert, is that uh, they go to the United Nations and use an, like an evaporator or a dehydration gun to like mm-hmm. make everyone kind of like disappear and dehydrate. Like... The whole concept of that is just so ridiculous. It's awesome. I mean, there's the bat boat, and Catwoman is disguised as a Soviet journalist. There's, there's so many. That, that was just an embarrassment of riches when the Batman movie is from 66, but they brought it back in, like, 76, and they it was in theaters again, it just limited. I think it was up at the old Belvedere Theater or Lakehurst or something like that, and... I didn't know what to expect, and my dad's like, let's see a movie. I'm like, what's the movie? He goes, it's a surprise. And we got there, and I sat down, and it like it was, I was like, oh, my God, it's a movie, and it's all Batman, and I'm sitting here right now. It was like the greatest day ever. I couldn't believe it, and it wasn't just like one little TV episode. It was two hours or however long it was. It, it, that, that was like, I never, as a kid, I never thought anything in my life could possibly get better, that that was it. It was all downhill from there. I was probably right about that. That's how I still. That's pro- probably how I. That's how I still feel about Batman movies, but not that one. I wish I knew exactly when they re-released it, but it was. God, I, I man, think it I, was 70, seventy. Like some of the, maybe seventy. Milton Burl. Yes. Cliff Robertson, Joan Collins is the siren. Cliff Robinson was a uh, Cliff Robinson. Robertson. If it's Cliff Robinson, then we got that's a different villain. <laughs> Uncle Cliffy comes out with his headband on. Was Cliff Robertson a like a Western villain or hero? Sometimes, I believe. I mean, come on, man. You got yeah. You studs, you're just wrong. If I got in the right state of mind, I might be able to handle it. There you go. Mm-hmm. There you but go. I can't. Mm-hmm. I can't take it serious. And I know it's not. And it's I know not, it's not. It's I know. Not but I know. I know. I know it's not meant to be taken seriously. But I have ex- really strong feelings about what the Batman character is supposed to be, and that's not it. Yeah, the Penguin disguises himself as the Commodore and schemes his way into the Batcave with five dehydrated henchmen. 
and the henchmen unexpectedly disappear into antimatter, but the penguin rehydrated them with toxic heavy water used to recharge the bat cave's atomic pile, leaving them highly unstable. Toxic heavy water is a real issue these days, isn't man. it? Yes. I saw toxic heavy water at Riot Fest. Toxic heavy water. What are we doing next? Oh. Oh. What we're doing next is There's another man in a costume. <laughs> Scott Boris has got some competition, Dan. Oh, I know what you're talking about. He's got some competition. And this was way more serious than anything that Scott Boris has talked about. We will share it with you next. You're listening to Bernstein and Holmes. Middays 10 to 2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score. When you're a franchise player, uh, you're a... you, you you know it. You've known it for years. You have a ring on your finger. You've been a multiple all-star. You have all these things. So you're a franchise brand. You're kind of the Dior of defense. You're the Hermes of hitting. You're the, the Louis V of leadership. You're the Prada of the postseason. You're, you're, it's a one-stop shop for a championship designer. Boy. You want the latest in everything that's going on with the NFL Combine. Mark Grody is covering the Combine this week and will be hosting on-the-clock specials tonight and tomorrow from 6 to 7 p.m. with exclusive content from Indianapolis. Mark is scheduled to be joined by Chris Sims, Josina Anderson, and more. On the Clock with Mark Grody can be heard right here on 670 The Score and the Odyssey app. We have a lot of fun with Scott Boris because he makes bad jokes and bad puns. He's not the only one who's doing that. I want you to steal yourself for this. Because Wait, steal like S-T-E-E-L or the way it was reported in the Tribune regarding Kevin Warren or Bears.com S-T-E-A-L. The first way. Okay. Because this, this is an all-timer. Chiefsaholic is a Chiefs super fan that went out robbing banks He's up on federal charges, which he has pled guilty to. He stole almost $800,000. He's going to, as part of his plea deal, he's going to have to pay back about $560,000 in restitution. His attorney was um, awful. From the beginning of this case, folks, the government has been blitzing, and Xavier's pocket was collapsing. But today, Xavier stepped into the pressure. He took responsibility for his actions. He stood up in court, humble and repentant, and admitted what he had done. Now, if I know anything about Xavier, and if the Chief's Kingdom knows anything about Chief Saholic, we know that he doesn't give up. We know that if he stumbled and he fell, he didn't let his knee touch the ground. (laughs) And that's because he's capable of doing a great thing. And he knows that there's still hope. We still have a lot of work to do on his case, but Xavier wants everyone to know that he loves the Chiefs Kingdom, he loves Kansas City, and he hopes that you'll rally to his support. Thank you, and God bless. (laughs) 
Come on. And he's looking at 50 years, 50 years in damn. federal prison without parole. Ah. Which means at the ripe old age of 79, Xavier Michael Babudar, chief saholic, will be out. Maybe. His knee didn't touch the ground. His knee didn't well, touch the ground. Something touched something if you're going away for half a century without parole. I, I don't know what the point of that was. I don't either. I mean, yep. You just admitted guilt to all this, and you're going away for 50 years. And if I'm that attorney, I that was not a great commercial for you. Well, he thought it was, clearly. He really he practiced did. that. In front of a mirror, right? Yep. He practiced that. My God. Parkinson Spiegel are waiting in the wings, and they'll be here when we return on the score. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.